There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is Now Playing Podcast Review of Black Widow. Such a poser. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Us mightiest heroes. Never heard of them. Hosted by Arnie. I'm allergic to the Midwest. Jacob. Aw, he's sensitive. See why you keep him around. And Stuart. Family. Back together again. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And I am guru. Whoa! Language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today we're discussing Black Widow. Starring Scarlett Johansson, Lawrence Pugh, David Harbour, O.T. Fagbenle, Olga Kurilenko, William Hurt, Ray Winstone, and Rachel Weisz. Directed by Kate Shortland. This is the now playing co-host who always needs to take ibuprofen before and after a fight, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who prefers mac and cheese over caviar and champagne, Jacob. Who doesn't? Especially give me some craft mac and cheese. I want no fish eggs. <laughs> me? I'm a Velveeta shells kind of guy, but... Yeah, you talked about your Velveeta before. Give me fish eggs over Velveeta. Well, this is a movie about Russians, so caviar and mac and cheese. <laughs> Finally, Black Widow has returned. This movie, over a year delayed thanks to COVID. Not only has it been a long time since this completed movie got to show itself in theaters and actually on Disney Plus as well, but we have been talking about for years, when are they going to let Scarlett finally have her movie? Everybody else in that original lineup, they had had their movies, several sequels. I mean, God knows if Thor can do those first two movies, how bad could it be? Well, Hawkeye never got one, and Hawkeye, I think, is on par with Black Widow. They both were introduced in somebody else's movie, and they've pretty much just been the powerless Avengers. Oh, come on, though. Like, Black Widow, way cooler than the bow and arrow guy. Yeah, I kind of forget about Hawkeye, but you're right. And he will get his show at the end of the year, so everyone gets their due. At last, we finally have, well, I don't know. Sometimes I felt like in seeing the previews, oh, I'm cursed by getting what I asked for. Like, I really wanted a Scarlett Johansson Black Widow movie until those trailers came out 14 months ago, and I was like... You know, this looks more Borat than I was prepared for. Where is the super spy? 
<laughs> Not into David Harbour doing bad Russian accent jokes. Yakov Shmirnov. You know, I lived through the 80s. Uh, Moscow and the Hudson. There was a lot of this. I'm not nostalgic for it. I did not want to see what looked like. What they were selling, certainly in those trailers, was that this was going to be a yuck fest about Russian culture collision with America. That's Marvel's trademark, though, right? When people compare the DC movies, especially under Zack Snyder, to the Marvel movies... Everyone says DC's the serious one. They're the ones that won't crack a smile. Marvel's the one where you can have world-ending stakes and still be laughing about a raccoon saying he's going to get that cybernetic arm. Guardians of the Galaxy, that's got humor built into it. They had to inject some humor to get Thor to be successful with Ragnarok. But I feel like you take Winter Soldier, that's definitely a Marvel film. It's got darker, heavier themes. But yeah, there's always those moments of levity. I don't feel like you need to go full comedy. And I agree with you, Stuart. The trailers for this, they're really trying to sell that comedy when I want the political intrigue. I want the spy stuff. I will just tell you, no matter what I think of the movie, it is not that. They have disguised the fact that large chunks of this movie are much more dramatic and it does have more gritty action. They're hiding the things that they thought would be maybe less appealing to the family-friendly audience and overemphasizing sitting around the table yuck fest. F9, super popular, like all about family. And that's what this is about. All about family. All that serious dramatic stuff. Like, let's talk about family relationships. It was weird, though, that you'd see one of the chuckle lines in the trailer of David Harbour, family, together again. And then you get Rachel Wise, Natasha, sit up straight. And yet in the context of the movie, it's like, we were never family. Leave me the hell alone. (laughs) it is not funny yeah it's bitter and that is maybe a welcome surprise or an unwelcome one depending on what you're looking for and who you brought along if you have small kids there might be things in this one that mm, you want to cover their ears or yeah when they talk about fallopian tubes yeah yeah that was a particular scene that got a big reaction that i'm like they're gonna get some emails some very angry emails Uh, disney plus for sure It's probably the harshest thing ever on Disney Plus since they covered up Daryl Hannah's ass. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they were asking for it because they hired Kate Shoreland. This is directed by someone that does not come from the action world. She is an Australian director that has barely worked, quite frankly. Her first movie was a coming-of-age sexual awakening story about a young woman called Somersault. And then she got a lot of acclaim for a movie about a decade ago. I really meant to see. Are you talking about lore? Yes. It did seem like a slower-paced movie and a movie about a family in crisis. It is the story of children of Nazis who, at the end of World War II, are learning about what their family supported and the values and going on a road trip together. Not dissimilar from Russian spies who mimicked American family life and then realized there was something about it that they responded to. It's not surprising that this director would hone in on those instincts and maybe not be as interested in the spy stuff. This is still, for me, a project that did not give me the Black Widow movie I expected. It's not James Bond with Scarlett Johansson. No, it's Jason Bourne with Scarlett Johansson. You sure it's not James Bond? It's a little bit of Moonraker. Like, they reference it, and then they reference it big towards the end. (laughs) I'm sure it's not James Bond with Scarlett Johansson. Well, Kate Shortland had to be wooed for this. She turned it down. Scarlett Johansson, who's not just the star, but a producer of this film, getting that extra paycheck for her final Marvel appearance, had to really convince Kate Shortland they had several calls I guess, Zooms even before pandemic, 
And Scarlett was going on and on about how she liked Kate Shortland's films. And after a few conversations and talking about how a lot of non-action directors are brought into the Marvel fold and there are people here who can show you the action and handle the action. Second units who can do action. Mm -hmm. You can handle the character stuff. She decided to come on board and... The screenplay is from a regular at Marvel, Eric Pearson. He did Thor Ragnarok. He's been writing for Marvel, doing a lot of rewrites, a lot of uncredited stuff, but he's been around since the early one-shots that they used to put on the Blu-rays and DVDs. Mm -hmm. Agent Carter, that Peggy Carter show, he also did a lot of those scripts. So again, would lead you to believe that this was about espionage and stuff that spies do, not a family drama. So I mentioned I went to theaters. This had special framing for IMAX in certain scenes. So I went and saw this in IMAX. What about you guys? Did you venture to theaters or did you Disney Plus it? I plused it. Like, again, Delta variant. I got my vaccination, but still don't want to go into packed theaters if I could avoid it. And this was, of course, going to be a packed theater. Like, this is Marvel, right? So, no, I stayed at home and watched it with my family. IMAX for me, I feel like at this point, I've been back to the movies several times now, and it's started to feel normal, actually. And so IMAX, you actually, I don't know, Arnie, if you had the same experience, but they had a big stack of comic books. So not only are you going to see it in its largest format presentation, but they even give you a graphic novel recap of all of Natasha Romanoff's biggest moments from the franchise so far. Things I had forgotten as someone that doesn't go back routinely and see Iron Man 2 and Winter Soldier, Civil War, they will recap the things that will remind you who Natasha is. And Yeah, at AMC, they gave you issue one of two. You have to go buy the second issue of the prequel comic. They've done prequel comics for every Marvel movie all the way back at least to Iron Man 2. I always read those, but they usually do end up being just depictions or recreations of what happened in previous movies. Yeah, they're not for you. They're for me. They're for people that forgot. Because I thought we already got her backstory. I'll be honest. Wasn't it just torture? Didn't we see her and Julie Delpy doing ballet and, and shooting people all day? Yeah, I think we got some images. Still, my biggest disappointment with Winter Soldier is that like it felt like threads that were dropped there that were never picked up by the MCU. And there was that whole thing where like if you publish everything, it's going to come back to you. Everyone's going to know about your past. And so that was one of the draw. Oh, what is this big deep dark secret that we're going to get here? I do feel like there was some mystery there, but yeah, we got a few images here and there about her training as a teenager. Yeah, I wondered if Julie Delpy would come back for this, but I knew this wasn't going to be an origin story. That had been what people had talked about is going back and telling the origin story. What every fan art did was Black Widow, Budapest, which would tell what happened because in Avengers, Black Widow says to Hawkeye, this reminds me of Budapest and... Hawkeye says, you and I remember Budapest very differently. And everybody's like, well, what happened in Budapest? That's obviously the movie, Black Widow and Hawkeye, Budapest. And no, that's not the movie, although we do find out what happened. Don't you mean Budapest? Yeah. <laughs> to be debated, I suppose. But I figured in watching this movie and even afterwards reading the comic, there would be little details from the previous movies that would have set up some of this that just felt like it was a new original story. And the surprise to me about this viewing is it's far less about Scarlett Johansson than it is about the new Black Widow. It is a Black Widow movie, but Scarlett's not the only one. 
Black Widow's dead at this point, so I thought it'd be some kind of eulogy about this character, reframing her journey and all those other movies. But no, it it's a origin story for a different Black Widow, essentially. Yeah, I kind of figured that's exactly what it would be, because... Knowing that they killed Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow in Endgame, this is the first movie of Phase 4, and it always was intended to be. I mean, we've had some Phase 4 on TV ahead of this now, which wasn't intended, but this is kicking off a new phase. I'm like, well, they've killed off Scarlett Johansson's character, and my first thought was they were saying this is going to take place after Civil War, and I'm like, I bet they're lying. I bet this takes place and she's going to come back like Spider-Man did. We knew Spider-Man Far From Home was coming even when Spider-Man was supposedly dead thanks to Infinity War. I was wrong. This is a prequel. And then it hit me when I realized that. I'm like, well, just like we have the new Captain America in Sam Wilson, Mm. this is giving us our second Black Widow. Straight out of the comics, Blonde Widow is a thing. I was definitely thinking a lot about Falcon and Winter Soldier after this cre- the end credits finished. I definitely oh, yeah. <laughs> feel it has a similar mission. How do we get you to say goodbye to a favorite and hello to someone in training? And let's face it, younger. Florence Pugh was 24 at the time of filming this. Scarlett Johansson, 35. And I've said this on the show many times, 35 is the finish line for many actresses. It's the time where you have to stop being the hot one and start taking the mother roles. Fairly or unfairly. I mean, I don't think we're advocating that they should, but yes. No, no, no. It's just the way it is. I don't agree with that. Right. Yes, I agree. And maybe also, like, you don't necessarily want to do the roles that you did. It's time to grow and stretch and do other things. So let's get into it, Arnie. Let's find out about all these Black Widows. It's 2016, and Scarlett Johansson's Avenger Natasha Romanoff is on the run. William Hurt's Secretary Ross is trying to capture her for breaking the Sokovia Accords as shown in Civil War. Natasha goes underground with the help of resource supplier Mason, played by O.T. Fagbenli. She doesn't have time to get settled before she is attacked by the Taskmaster, a fighter who can replicate any action he sees. He fights using a Captain America-like shield, Black Panther claws, Hawkeye bows and arrows, and a sword. But Taskmaster isn't after Natasha. He's after some vials sent to Natasha by another Black Widow spy, Yelena Belova, played by Florence Pugh. In the 90s, Yelena and Natasha were undercover operatives playing the role of children of embedded spies Melina, played by Rachel Wise, and Alexei, the Russian super soldier also known as the Red Guardian, played by David Harbour. As has been said in other movies, Natasha defected to join S.H.I.E.L.D., and to do so, she had to end the Red Room, also known as the Black Widow Program, by killing its creator, General Drakoff, played by Ray Winstone. Or Harvey Weinstein, as I called him in all my notes. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, yes. He looked the part. We will, do- we will get there, but that was unsubtle. It turned out Drakoff had escaped the assassination and Natasha had killed Drakoff's daughter, Antonia. After Natasha went rogue, Drakoff implemented mind control on the widows, able to make them perform any act, including suicide. Yelena was another widow under that mind control, but a chemical was developed to neutralize the mind control. When Yelena was freed, she stole that antidote. Drakoff sent Taskmaster to retrieve it. Yelena and Natasha team up to take down the Red Rome, but to find it, they must break Alexei out of prison. Alexei and Drakoff had a falling out, so Alexei was sent to prison for life. When reunited with their fake father, though, Alexei tells the women he never knew where the Red Room was, but their fake mother did. She was the scientist who developed Drakoff's mind control. 
The three unite with Melina, who betrays them and helps Drakov capture the three. But the reunion caused Melina to have a change of heart, so she and Natasha actually switched identities using those great face masks. They enter the flying fortress that now houses the Red Room. This gets Natasha to Drakov, where he tells his entire evil plan, including revealing Taskmaster is not a he, but a she, his daughter Antonia. She survived the explosion Natasha had used to try and kill Drakov, but Antonia was badly wounded and needed a chip implanted in her head. This made her a perfect robotic killing machine. Meanwhile, Melina sets off an explosion to bring down the compound, Alexei fights Taskmaster, and Yelena tries to rescue the Widows. Drakov escapes and has his widows attack Natasha, but Yelena brings in the cure dust. Alexei and Melina escape the crashing compound. Yelena sabotages Drakov's plane and he dies in an explosion. For real this time, we see him engulfed in flame. And once safely on the ground, Natasha faces off against Antonia the Taskmaster. Natasha removes Taskmaster's face mask and sprays her with the anti-mind control dust, freeing Antonia to do whatever she wants with third-degree burn scars and a chip in her head. <laughs> the world is your oyster. <laughs> the other widows come to offer help, but the fighting is done. The widows flee. Alexei, Melina, and Yelena take Antonia and escape, while Natasha stays behind to face Secretary Ross and his troops. And we jump two weeks later and see Natasha, now sporting the short blonde hair and vest she wore in Endgame. Mason got her a Quinjet, and she's going to go join Captain America and help him break Hawkeye, Ant-Man, Falcon, and Scarlet Witch out of Ross's prison, though none of them cameo in this film. As credits roll to a scene in present day, Yelena is visiting Natasha's grave when she's visited by Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Valentina tells Yelena her next mission is to avenge Natasha's death by killing Hawkeye which will be followed up on in a Disney Plus TV series later this year. So when talking about timeline, Kevin Feige had said this movie takes place after Civil War. No, this movie takes place during Civil War. When they do go to different cities, that giant font they use saying which city they're in is straight out of Civil War. They're just duplicating what was done there. So it does also feel like part of that movie to me. Mm -hmm. I went back, rewatched that film. 40 minutes before the end is the last time we see Black Widow. In my mind, I mean, I've seen that movie a hundred times, but in my mind, I knew she stunned T'Challa and I thought she was one of the people that Cap had to break out of prison. Rewatching it, no, because she had been Team Iron Man. She wasn't arrested immediately. She was told Ross is coming after her, though, and she disappears. And so this movie takes place between the time she disappears 40 minutes before the end of Civil War and the time Captain America walks into that prison to free everybody right before the end credits of Civil War. Yeah, my memory was that she was on Team Iron Man, but she was a double agent there. She ends up helping out Cap. And then what I didn't remember was like, she's like, I'm going to go bust everyone free at the end of this film. I'm like, I don't remember that happening. Cap did. And we never saw her involved with it. So here she says she's going to go help Cap. So given that the raft was a seaborne prison, I guess she flew him there and then he went in and did the actual freeing. Yeah, she has that Quinjet by the end. She's got the blonde hair. I'm, I'm glad that's been resolved. Now we, we know why she's a blonde. <laughs> that was keeping me in suspense all these years. 
But actually where we start is 1995, guys. This is another retro, at least for a little while, the same place where Captain Marvel was. We're going to be in suburban Ohio. Yeah, I was shocked that we didn't get a Carol Danvers Easter egg somewhere. But no, it's 1995. We're going to get some Nirvana, a different version of Nirvana. But yeah, they're going for that that whole vibe that they had with the 90s stuff with Captain Marvel. The comic made it clear to me, Natasha is 11 years old here. And maybe you don't recognize her. She's got blue tinted hair. She's riding her bike through classic suburbia, you know, kids on tire swings, sister playing in the backyard. Seems like a wholesome family. She does not look at all like Scarlett Johansson, though. And I'm like, who does she look like? And it took me a little bit. She looks like her mother, Mia Jovovich. Oh, that is her mom? Because I saw she played a young Mia Jovovich in one of those Resident Evil movies. I didn't realize that was her daughter as well. I kind of got it in terms of like, this is how I imagine Scarlett to be as an 11-year-old. Like, kind of a cool kid experimenting with hair color. But again, keep in mind, this is someone that has already been through torture and drills and what have you. She's experiencing this American life for the last three years. But prior to that, she's known nothing but brutality. Her sister, however, the one that's doing spider walks and challenging her to games and skinning her knee, she has not gone through any of that training. She is nascent to the spy game, it seems. I think she hasn't. I think she's young enough. I mean, how old is she supposed to be here? Like I said, there's an 11-year difference between Scarlet and Florence. She's six. It's mentioned she's six years old. There's a five-year difference between characters. So if they'd been there for three years, she was two. She was probably, you know, taken by the Red Room and went through whatever rigors they give their infants. Oh, those babies have guns. You know they do. (laughs) They were born with the wrist tasers on. Before you get a pacifier, you get a Glock. But I don't think she'd remember any of it. Agreed. Okay, so that explains why they have different ideas about what they're doing here in America. One is very much believing she is American, and one kind of knows it's all going to end and it'll suck when I have to go back to that other world. I know this is a Disney Marvel movie. We got to appeal to those kids, but there's just stuff about this opening. I was rolling my eyes as I'm taking notes. Okay, they got their whistle signal. I'm like, okay, that's going to come back. They're doing their crab walk. We're upside down. Who's going to fall first? I'm like, okay, that's going to be a thing. They're competitive. Pain only makes you stronger. Yep, okay, that's another theme. Bugs with chemical reactions. I'm like, okay, something with chemicals is going to go on. Like, it was just a lot of Chekhov's checklist here. Like, Mm. I guess we're just going to jam it all in here, but I could already see the, the shape that this is taking. I feel like some of this is pretty unnecessary, like when they're spider walking and Yelena says, we're both upside down. There's going to be a callback to that later for reasons. And then the talking about the fireflies feels like some really heavy handed metaphor about how all women glow luminescently. <laughs> the word I kept coming to time and again was workmanlike. This movie is competent, it is put together, it is well-crafted as a story, meaning that the things that are introduced in Act 1 come back in Act 2 and 3, but it's not a surprise to know that Kate Shortland didn't want to take this project and probably isn't a big fan of Marvel movies, because it doesn't feel like it has a whole lot of love for the larger mythology. And I could feel that in my audience. You know, it was interesting. I saw it with the packed IMAX crowd. It was bigger than the F9 crowd, bigger than the Forever Purge crowd. And when the Marvel logo first came on, whoop, whoop, everyone's excited. Crickets. 
for the next hour, I don't think anyone made a joke, a peep, nothing. That means the crowd got excited when David Harbour started doing all those yuck yuck jokes we got in the trailer. So maybe that is what they should have done. My audience also applauded for the opening credits and they were fairly animated during it. I definitely heard some murmurs of approval and some laughs as the movie went on. People saying American Pie? <laughs> no, nobody's saying American Pie. It's an interesting choice. <laughs> bye, bye. Get it? Because they're saying goodbye to America? I mean, whee, talk about on the nose. <laughs> I kept thinking one of them would die. I thought David Harbour was dead this whole movie. From the trailers, yep. <laughs> I thought David Harbour was dead. And seeing him sing, this will be the day that I die... I'm shocked all four people in this car end the movie without a single fatality. Oh, yeah, because we know what happens to Black Widow. So I'm like, there's no danger with her. I do never care when she's in an action scene because I know she's going to make it out alive. But there's got to be someone that I should care about if they live or die. And I, I figured it was Yelena, the sister. She's probably coming back. But the mom or the dad, like one of them got to go. David Harbour, get rid of him. He's got to go. He's the funny one. We're going to be sad when he dies. What is David Harbour doing here at the beginning? We see him come home, disrupt this Americana with bad news. He's wearing a security ID badge and holding a three-quarter inch disc saying I've got it we've got to go and so my question is is there something that I'm forgetting did they steal something that is connected to the larger Marvel like is the Tesseract like data in here what they stole is connected to the Marvel Universe but it's not something you'd necessarily jump to he was apparently working at a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. They say this a little later on. But it was really HYDRA. Yep, because HYDRA had infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D., as we found out in The Winter Soldier. And this HYDRA base was continuing its research on mind control like it used on The Winter Soldier. Oh, when Milena's talking later, that's what was going yes. on here. Okay. Yeah, that's what they were stealing. They wanted to destroy all the other copies, so only the Russians would have this formula, whatever's on this disc. That's why he talks about how they burned it down and everything. Okay. It was a little abstracted. It's a lot of data dumping that happened. The point is, they're on the run, they're playing American Pie, and there's some theatrics at an airplane hangar where the girls have to take off, and Dad has super strength. We notice him pitch a dumpster and making incredible dashes, and, and seemingly, I didn't know this, maybe you guys did, he seems to have the super soldier Captain America powers. Yeah, I mean, the Red Guardian is the Russian version of Captain America in the comics. That Super Soldier Serum got around a lot more in the comics. Like, even Natasha had some version of it. I, I thought she would have it here the way she just falls down buildings and is able to run immediately. But Oh, no kidding, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but apparently she never got it in the MCU. But yes, this father figure did get it. He's able to throw that dumpster, like you said. And I kind of like this little action scene. It feels different for a Marvel film. You know, besides that little glimpse of, oh, he's got superpowers. It's, it's just kids and their mom trying to get away on a plane. You got a stuntman holding onto a wing. I thought it was a fun little takeoff scene. It was nice. And I noticed on my second viewing of this that one of the trucks after them had the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo on the door. So those weren't just cops coming because he burned down the facility. This was S.H.I.E.L.D. or Hydra trying to reclaim their intellectual property. And Well, here's the weird thing with S.H.I.E.L.D. is, again, this is a Marvel movie. So I'm looking for Agent Coulson or a D.H. Sam Jackson. And like, again, all those little Easter eggs that we're used to seeing. They were busy with Captain Marvel in 95. Yeah, but they were still a shield. This is part of shield. I don't know. 
At this point, we believe they're an actual family, right? Like, that's a reveal later on that none of them are family. They were all undercover, but I'm like... Oh, no, no. Really? I never believed they were an actual family. I mean, there was the line in Endgame when Natasha and Hawkeye go to visit Red Skull, and Red Skull goes, Welcome, Natasha, daughter of Ivan. And that makes her a believer. Hawkeye's like, you're just going to believe him because he knows your father's name? And Natasha says... I didn't know my father's name, so... Okay, you, you would remember that. You've seen it a hundred times. I saw it once. So to me, I'm like, okay, this is still a family. So I'm like, wow, they're killing the mom early because pain only makes you stronger. So this is the pain that's going to shape Black Widow. Yeah, certainly by Disney movie logic, you take away a parental figure. It's part of the journey of coming to age. I did wonder, David Harbour out there with a gun. I thought maybe they were leaving him behind. I had seen scenes of a prison break in the trailer. I thought maybe he'd be caught. I didn't expect Rachel Weisz to get shot right here in the beginning. Unfortunately, no thought of her dying because, again, of the trailers. Red Guardian, Alexi, had been staying behind to shoot at the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and he super runs and catches the wing, and then they take off, and I'm like, did he stay on the wing the whole time that they flew to (laughs) Cuba from Ohio? It's a short flight. He climbed in at some point. (laughs) When they show the plane landing, he's not on it, but did he just let go when they got low enough? I was really wondering about that. I don't know if that plane would have made it to Cuba on one tank. Maybe they had to land at some point and refuel, and he climbed in. I feel like if they'd landed again in the States, S.H.I.E.L.D. have been on them, though. But again, I couldn't rectify what I had already half remembered about Natasha's past, which in my mind was, I'm not wrong, right? She was wearing tutus and like doing pirouettes. And then she was like picking up guns. It was some kind of ballet school slash assassin class. And we see that in the opening credits here. We're going to see glimpses of Red Room training, which does include ballet. Right. But she's already had that and now she's on a mission. And I guess the point of the mom being injured at this moment is she's going to have to take the wheel. They're acting like this is the first moment that Natasha has had to take control of a situation, maybe. I'll be honest, I find it hard throughout this movie to see the importance of Natasha Romanoff. I really feel like every other character is much more inviting than she is. They undermine her so much towards the end, It like... Got really upset, but I totally agree with you, Stuart. Like, if this is, again, a eulogy for Black Widow, like, remember this character? There's why she's great. They undermine her over and over throughout this film. I'll agree, but I don't think this scene is one. Here it's showing her as being defiant and strong and trying to protect her sister, even though she knows they aren't real sisters. When she sees little Yelena about to be taken and knows what Yelena is going to be subjected to, she tries to protect her sister. It's setting up that theme that's going to persist throughout the movie is the sisterhood of the traveling stinger. The point is they get back to a communist-friendly country and they meet Drakoff. And Drakoff is, you know, you can tell right away. This is a guy that doesn't respect women. He's like drugged the children and literally they're thrown and moved around in garbage dumpsters. And he was only talking to the men about how it went. He gets the disc back. Although we'll find out he ends up betraying Alexi as well. He's really not loyal to anyone or any. Alexi's complaining. I mean, the two men hug here, but Alexi's complaining because, yes, why would you have a super soldier and make him take an office job for three years? 
Yeah, seems like a strange use of his powers, but just because it makes him a more fun character to reunite with later. Again, he will be a standout. Until we see him again, my IMAX audience was kind of not feeling it. For the next half hour, we're with Scarlet, and I'm feeling bad. They definitely saddle her with a lot of guilt. She will be made to feel guilty about not staying with Yelena, and she will be made guilty about some assassination later that was it ever referenced before? It was. Oh, yeah. It's all connected. Okay. It's all planned out. We can get talk <laughs> it when we get there, but just in general, I feel the character that I used to love that was a real spark of energy has become this glum, remorseful, not fun to follow background character. I'm excited to see it because it's Black Widow. I can't say I'm necessarily too into the teenage years, Natasha, but that's just in the prologue. Once the opening credits start, we do get that haunting rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I really do just love this rendition of the song. It's been stuck in my head for the days since I've seen this movie. That probably shouldn't work as those lyrics are pretty nonsensical, but... With the visuals of the women in the dumpsters and inserts of Dreykov saying to kill the weak ones and the ballet dancing and things, it really does create a somber mood, mournful for these Black Widows, which could lead right into Natasha's state of mind when this starts. Avengers broken up and she's on the run. Of course, one of the people I feel bad for in this movie is William Hurt. I mean, I knew he was going to be in this movie. He was a brief glimpse in a trailer. And in the trailer, he looked younger. And everybody was thinking it was a de-aged William Hurt. This was going to be some kind of early flashback with Black Widow and General Ross. And no, William Hurt is literally here to be ineffective for a couple of scenes. I mean, this is seems like a long way from the actor who used to give speeches about the importance of his work during a history of violence. And look, I want Marvel movies to be different and unique and each one could go off and explore its own thing. But I still want some cool spy action type stuff going on. And the fact that Natasha just gets away from General Ross here by taking off her suit, changing her clothes and just walking out of a bathroom. Quitting. Quitting. This is a movie about someone quitting and going to a trailer. Woohoo! This is fun. This is exactly what I wanted to do. Go to Norway and sit in the trailer and watch Moonraker. The Moonraker is actually the worst part of that, having seen that film. But <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind Norway. <laughs> yeah, the fact that I saw all those other hints that they set up at the beginning with the crab walk. I'm like, Moonraker, you were referencing the worst James Bond film? Oh, no, this is bad. They're going to have some callback to this. <laughs> It's the fun one, you know, maybe the worst one, arguably. It's, it's not good. It's the craziest one. But again, nothing. she's imagining all the fun she should be having in her own movie while she sits in a trailer whose generator blows out and she's in the dark. And I just feel like that is Scarlet in this whole movie encapsulated. Why did they have nothing better for her to do than to hide in the dark? Yeah, they literally have a conversation. Like, she's got some friend there that's actually doing everything for her, getting everything. And, like, they have to talk about the septic tank and, like, how that's going to get cleaned out. (laughs) Yeah, that friend is Mason, Tinkerer Jr. from the comics. Yeah, Rick Mason, a nobody in the comics. Like, just some random S.H.I.E.L.D. guy. I I think his dad's more famous than him. His dad is more famous, but his dad, at least the character of the Tinkerer named Mason, was in Spider-Man Homecoming. So, is this the son of one of... 
Michael Keaton's henchman? Yeah, Stuart, you remember the Tinkerer in that? I don't. I don't remember any character named Tinkerer. I barely remember that Michael Keaton had henchmen. And this actor I only know for his bit part in The Handmaid's Tale. They seem to imply that he has had a romance with Natasha at some point. Or they have some kind of half flirtation. I take it as he is so friend-zoned and so blue-balled about it. (laughs) Yeah, he clearly wants it more than she does. But again, what does Scarlett even want in this movie? But he really is just a functional character. He will get her choppers and jets, but he will never participate in the storyline. So I don't... When we talk about who he becomes in the next Marvel movie, I won't even remember him in this one. Well, in this one, he's Q. That's what I kept referring to him as. He doesn't have cool gadgets, Mm -mm. but at least he's going to give you supplies. Bad trailers and, yeah, what was the name she was going to have to go by? It was something... Fanny Longbottom. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's going to go pick up her mail in Budapest and, and deliver it to her. A real errand boy here. Yes, that is the one thing that he has done to help the plot. If you're in a safe house hiding, how much mail do you get? <laughs> is it really a safe house if they know where to mail your stuff? <laughs> I don't know. But among her box of supplies is the package. And we will cut to Morocco. We will see Sister Elena. She's having all the fun, doing all the action, trying to get a hold of that very box. There's a lot of action here in this first hour, I'll say. There's very little of Scarlett Johansson in a trailer. I mean, maybe five minutes. This movie, you pretty much start with the action scene of escaping Ohio. And before too long, yes, Yelena is having her action scene and under mind control. Yeah, they cover their premises really efficiently and clearly here. Yeah, you see Elena and some of the other widows. They're trying to do a hit, and she goes to get this package, and whoever they're attacking, she sprays this red stuff, and she like does this little head shake, and she's like, oh, I was under control. Let me cut this tracker out. I'm like, great, that's what the red dust does, but they're going to have to really go into depth about that later with the whole pig and everything. But like, I got it all <laughs> here, and I like Florence Pugh. I liked her in Midsummer and Fighting With My Family, where she a biopic about a wrestler that she portrayed. Like, I feel like she She's got range and like she's good at the action here. I just don't know why they got to keep driving points home in this film. Like it doesn't need to be two hours and 12 minutes. I was shocked though at her brutality here, you know, because I've come to know Scarlet Widow, as I'll call her, as (laughs) somebody who had a dark past and was theoretically an assassin, but we never saw her go in for the final kill and be completely ruthless. And here we see that they're tracking a woman and when she starts to get away, Yelena here says she's going to go to ground and start the road chase. The two have a fight. Yelena pulls a knife and guts her. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, I did not see this coming. And, you know, given that she's under mind control, it's not her fault. She was being used in this way, but... It's still a hell of a way to set up a character who I think is supposed to become your new favorite walking away from this. You start off by introducing her as a bad guy who gutted a woman trying to do the right thing, escape with a cure for mind control. I mean, I feel like they're going to give Black Widow, Scarlet Widow, similarly dark backstory. I don't think they'll just emphasize it as much as they do with this scene. 
And what I would say, Arnie, is the reason why you don't hold it against Yelena is because, yeah, instantly she gets the red mist in the face and goes, oh my god, what have I done? And, and it's, that's the only atonement she needs to do. Like, for the rest of this, she's not guilt-ridden about anything she might have done. And, yeah, she'll be later classified as the greatest child assassin of all time. She's killed lots of people in similarly brutal ways, but we're only to think of her as funny. From this point forward, everything she does is scene-stealing. And I can tell you, the audience responded to her. I could tell that they liked her. I liked her, frankly. I think she's the highlight of this film. Yeah. If you're here to sell us on the net new Black Widow, I think this film sells her. I like Scarlett Johansson better in this film. Maybe it's a familiarity thing. I did like Florence in Midsommar a lot. But here... To me, my focus is still on the most skilled one, the one getting the better action scenes, Scarlett Johansson, who she's going to leave her trailer when it loses power and get attacked by my true favorite character in this movie until the mask comes off, Taskmaster. This person is a badass. Second best design since Ghost, like from that Ant-Man sequel. I, I do love the design of this character. I kept writing down the Mandalorian because I don't think they were calling it <laughs> Taskmaster. So I was just like, oh, the Mandalorian is here. And we saw that when Yelena failed, or rather she succeeded in cutting out her tracker and going rogue with that package, we saw that it cut back to Dracoff and he activated this. It looked like a robot. They stuck something in the back of it. I don't know that you would necessarily think that it had a person person inside or at least i didn't yeah you even get some taskmaster pov shots and he has terminator vision where it has like the options and analysis of the target and everything really driving home that it could be a robot or a cyborg my wife thought the same thing Stuart. she's like oh is that character a robot i'm like not in the comic but maybe in this i'm not sure i wondered how they'd bring taskmaster to life because in the comic he is a skull. He's like Skeletor with a shield and a sword and a hood. He was a normal dude and had a photographic memory. And then, yeah, becomes like a mercenary who trains the other bad guys. So here I'm like, well, they've got to update the look. So they go with this mask. It works really well. But when they call him a him in the movie up until the end, they specifically mm -hmm. say he. Yeah, they're misdirecting you. Yeah. Mm hmm. And it is a he under the outfit for the majority of this movie. It's a stuntman named Andy Lister doing all of these moves and things. And so it's going to be a shock, supposedly, when they take the mask off. And it's this actress, Olga Kurilenko, but she doesn't say a single word as Taskmaster either. So I think maybe Andy should have been credited for Taskmaster and Olga for Antonia, but... Olga's been in quite a few things. I don't know why you bring in a real actress to put under makeup and not really let speak very much. So I don't know, maybe we'll see Taskmaster again in a future movie, but here they're just trying to trick you. Mm, not for long, if you know how movies work, though. As soon as I found out Drakoff had a daughter, I was onto it. Yep. But yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, my thought coming in was that it was going to be Mason because they did all of these character posters and they actually gave one to O.T. Fagbenley. And I'm like, well, this is the only man they're giving a poster to other than David Harbour. 
I know David Harbour won't fit in that suit, so it must be OT under there. Whoever OT is, he's the Taskmaster. Until, yeah, we get the backstory. But, man, when Taskmaster attacks here, it is like the greatest hits of all the Avengers in one. It is, he blows up her car. You don't even see it coming. You're inside the car. You get, like, POV passenger seat as her car rolls over. Because I was watching this at home, I was able to rewind because it just caught me off guard when her car blew up. You do see something fly in because he's Hawkeye, he's Captain America, he's Black Panther, Taskmaster is everyone. And yeah, when you say you think Black Widow has the better action scenes, well, Taskmaster has the better action scenes. I don't know how great Scarlet is here. It, You know, I, I'm sure this is all second unit director here, the, the action stuff, and it feels like a real loss of physics as she's flying around. Yeah, what I noticed was that her response is, I'm great with aim. She picks up a gun and fires and yeah, Taskmaster can counter any move she's going to make. What we see is that Natasha is outmatched. It's only because she realizes that the real target is that package in her back seat. She swipes the vials before she's knocked into the water. That's the reason why she's successful. She didn't win this fight. Yeah, there's a scene while they're fighting where they're marrying each other. I'm like, oh, oh, maybe that's a Natasha clone that they're making Taskmaster into. And with the score, there's a little sting here where if you've seen the movie Under the Skin, which stars Scarlett Johansson, who plays, I think, like a shape-shifting alien or something. We're going to be covering it in a couple months for our patrons. Okay, that's got a real unique soundtrack, and it felt like they kind of used those synthesizers just a little bit now and then when they were kind of mirroring each other. I did like the synth track, but... Yeah, this fight here when they're mirroring each other, I'm really excited by the energy. And yeah, she does have to go on the run and figure out what's going on. She has to go back to that safe house in Budapest. So this wasn't in a previous movie, but it was discussed in previous movies. Her and Hawkeye referenced an event in Budapest or Budapest. Yeah. And so here she's going back there to the safe house that I guess she used when she was defecting to S.H.I.E.L.D., she knows where she still hid guns those years ago. And you have to think, she's only in her mid-30s. So all of this had to have happened fairly recently. You know, her defection, I saw somebody put together a timeline and her defection was in the early 2000s. She was only with S.H.I.E.L.D. a couple of years before she was assigned to Tony Stark. And she gets to the safe house and Yelena's there. And so we have to have the obligatory fight between the people they're going to team up because... Can we stop doing this in action films, guys? Like, I'm so sick of this. I get it. Like, in the 2012 Avengers, like, it's fun when it's major characters like Thor versus Iron Man. Like, okay, but I don't know who Yelena is. Like, this doesn't mean anything to me. I know they're going to be friends after this. It's, a, I guess, an all right fight where they choke each other out and give up. But I, I know that's going to be the end. And there's not really a justifiable reason why they would go at each other, right? This is just for the fun of seeing who's the better widow. And they have to stalemate. That's the way all hero fights go. Yep. You can't say my widow's better than your widow. They're going to each have their moments. Mm -hmm. Natasha's going to get Yelena down on the sink, and Yelena's going to get Natasha down and really throw her into a door jam hard. And then they're going to Jason Bourne it. They're going to say, hey, you know, I'm going to grab a knife. I'm going to grab a curtain. <laughs> I'm going to choke you with a curtain and they'll eventually both be choking each other equally until they say, all right, truce. There is some funny stuff like what kind of bullet holes are those? Oh, those are bow and arrows. Like I do like that. Yeah, th there is this whole history with Hawkeye and Hawkeye. Yeah, trying to kill her. That's one of the things I like about this movie is it's telling you the whole Budapest story, but you got to pay attention. I mean, 
arrow holes in the wall of her safe house, this means he was trying to shoot her and either intentionally missing or he wasn't as good of a name back then, but... Yeah, we'll see a picture of him at the end. He never shows up in this. But, you know, that's kind of the fun stuff in these Marvel movies when they drop all these little hints. So I I was having some fun with that because I I feel like we haven't had a whole lot of that in this film yet. It's been kind of dry and and just going by the numbers. I'm going to say it again. It's the word of the day. You can scream if you want. Workmanlike. It's fine. It's competent. It's done with someone that has skill but no passion. I mentioned Jason Bourne, though. Are you guys not getting a Bourne identity kind of feel? In this fight, yes. Yeah, in this fight. In the Bourne films, you're in Europe. You go to a new place. You almost are immediately in a fight with somebody who you don't necessarily know yet. And it's about a person who's trying to take down the organization that made them into a mind-controlled killer. This felt to me like the widow identity. I mean, there's a dozen action films this movie reminded me of. Yeah, James Bond, Jason Bourne, I I, I could go through. I mean, even Captain Marvel, like, when you get down to, like, the feminist message of this, it's just like, yeah, guys, stop controlling women. That's all you got to say? Okay. Workman-like, sure. Not a whole lot of creativity is how I describe it. Bourne identity... Yes. The large theme of that series was who was Jason Bourne, a mission of self-discovery, and freeing oneself from being part of an unethical shadow organization. And this has some of those elements. But Bourne also went on missions. And what I'm missing, and why I don't call this a great spy movie and see it more as family drama, is because what is Natasha supposed to be doing? Eventually they're going to agree we need to go find this Red Room and she'll defer to other characters to figure all of that stuff out. But the thing that she gets to do in this movie is not figure stuff out or steal things or assassinate or anything like that. It's to atone. It's around this time, around this fight, that we find out that she thought she killed Drakoff because she set off this big bomb. We'll eventually get back to a flashback that establishes that she was there and give the okay to blow up an entire floor of a building. And she knew that a little school girl with a red bag had just run in there to see daddy. She owns that. And this movie, her big thing in this movie is saying, I'm sorry. I mean, we, we've known about this since 2012, Stuart. All that read in her ledger, when she had that face-off with Loki in Avengers, he does mention, as part of her sins, Drakeoff's daughter. I couldn't believe it. I went back to see that scene and that Loki said, Drakeoff's daughter, the hospital in San Paolo. It's like, wow, Is Drakoff from the comics? Are they pulling from something there? No, and that's why I don't think this is like a long game they've been running. Like, look, you write a character Bible for your character, especially when it's a huge franchise like this. You're going to come up with backstories, and Drakoff is not in the Marvel comics unless he went by a totally different name. I couldn't find any reference to this guy in in the comics. This is just a made-up character, and so, yeah, they probably came up with some backstory. I don't know. She killed this guy's daughter for some reason and, like, dropped that line, and now it's here to get paid off. That's very cool, though. I mean, you'll never go back and watch Avengers and not think of this now when Loki says it. I love that little detail. And that might be why this is Drakoff and not some Marvel character, because it was, just, again, some character Bible for Black Widow. And they're like, oh, we, we made that name. We got to stick with that. We can't use this, you know, whatever character from the comics. Do you like that this is the storyline? 
I do. I like that it's an investigation into her past explaining the Red Room. Again, pulling out other movies that this reminds me of is one that's much more dour than this one even is Spielberg's Munich, which is, you know, about going after terrorists and, and then kind of feeling the repercussions and the guilt of maybe having to take out innocent people to get those terrorists. And, and so, okay, they want to do that Marvel style okay, this character would seem appropriate. It it all matters on the execution. I just feel like they shy away. They don't really lean into seeing this horrific act of this daughter being killed. Like, we'll see an explosion. That's it. They can't go R-rated like Munich is. So they got to do it in a kid-friendly way. And I feel like that takes away from the impact. Jason Bourne had to atone for some things too. I remember him going hat in hand to a couple people. But along the way, he mostly got to have fun. And I feel like he wasn't saddled with so much of this weight. And the fact that they've gone to her supposed ledger of all the blood that's on her hands, it's discussed these days about how women, in looking at the difference between behaviors, between the genders, women are always feeling they have to apologize, uh, even when, you know, men don't do for the same thing. I feel like that's definitely the problem for Natasha. She's having to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and never having any fun with her skills. This will be a movie where she is wet blanket. Didn't Scarlet Witch get the blame too for causing those deaths and, and that which created, you know, the, all that headache in Civil War? Like, wow, really going after the women in these films. Well, Scarlet Witch did throw an explosion into an embassy. I mean, she tried to contain an explosion. And And let me be clear. Like, usually there's a guilt complex to lots of the characters. We could cite men and women. But not only does she have this storyline to rectify, but she's also got to feel bad about not coming back and helping out Yelena. Because Yelena was like, you never, you got to go off and be a big Avenger. And you're on the cover of magazines and doing these ridiculous poses when you land because you're such a prima donna. And meanwhile, I'm in the life, struggling. And your sister. You know, you were supposed to help me and look after me and you didn't live up to your sibling responsibilities is just another weight on top of Scarlet. Were these two biological sisters? No. Okay, I didn't think so. They have different last names. I mean, Romanov and Belova would, you know, not that they even necessarily know who their parents are, but that's emphasizing the idea that they are not biologically related. I didn't think they were either, but Natasha thought she had destroyed the Red Room. She didn't think... She had to go back for anybody, including Yelena, thinking that they were all free because she killed Drakov. And here is where all the Black Widows come to attack, and it's the scene that I feel undermines Natasha the most, is the Widows come in, they flee out the window, and of course, Natasha has to be always the hero. One of the evil Widows or mind-controlled Widows jumps after them, And Natasha's going to try to catch her and save her life. Yeah. It's like at the expense of her own trying to catch this woman. And here's Natasha takes a fall that should take her out of the movie. No, no, no. She went to the Dominic Toretto School of Stunts here, where as long as you hit something really hard before you hit the ground, you're safe. Apparently, the ground is lava. That will kill you. But break your fall with balconies and awnings and steel beams. Car hoods. She almost lands standing up. Like, she just stands up right away. I'm like, no. there's, And then she runs. I'm like, where's the lift? Like, no. Where's the broken ribs? That's why I was wondering, did she get that super soldier serum? Because in the comics, she had some version of it, but I guess she doesn't have it in the MCU. She's just Dominic Toretto. Well, on one hand, it's helpful because this makes this movie feel brutal. 
they are pushing the rating a little bit. It's PG-13. But yeah, when you really see some of these falls and some of these just viscerally, I, I ooh, ow, you know, like I'm just recoiling. It's, yeah, it looked painful. It, it helps sell the idea that this is not some soft Disney comedy. Until she just stands up and runs with no limp. And then I'm like, oh, okay, this is silly Disney comic book stuff. But it does kind of remind me of what I would call their grittiest movie, which is Winter Soldier. That's true. Did either of you judge these sisters for not using the vials? You know, they have the means to turn this team of Black Widows that are attacking them into allies. All they got to do is spritz them with some pink stuff, and suddenly these women will lead them to the Red Room, right? I couldn't even track where these vials were from after Norway until the end. I'm like, do they still have those? Did they hide them somewhere and they got to go retrieve them? I wasn't even sure where they were at this point. It was unclear to me. Like, it didn't seem like the movie cared. They're under attack so hard. I don't know exactly how they would have gotten a chance. Only one widow comes within arm's reach. And Natasha doesn't even believe Yelena. She doesn't believe the Red Room exists. She doesn't want to believe it, so she refuses to believe it, that there are widows still and that Dreykov is alive still. It takes this moment for Natasha to realize, oh shit. I mean, at the very end of the film, Natasha's going to use it in the middle of a fight, so she could have used it in the middle of a fight here. And more to the point, why are they running? Why aren't they on the offense? Again, showing heroicism, they should be like, oh, here they come. Get them. Let's get them with the gas. The way that they run away and then, you know, eventually Taskmaster blows in in some tank or something. Oh, my God, that's awesome. I love Taskmaster in this tank that moves so damn fast. It was way too fast. (laughs) I loved it for that. It doesn't have treads. It had wheels. Yeah. But it's like this ATV that is chasing them through the streets. I really enjoyed those scenes. And that tank, it's super cool, Arnie. I don't, again, there's little stings of music that reminded me of Terminator 2 when you had T-1000 and the semi chasing Arnold. They're throwing those little references in here. and It's a scene that's kind of got a similar vibe to it, and, and the score does too. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. I didn't. I liked the score in this movie, but I didn't catch the familiarities. Which I, I think maybe that's why I kind of did like a lot of the score. It reminded me of scores I did like. Taskmaster, unfortunately, is in this far too little as the widows are also giving chase. And there is this moment. It is the moment that I'm going to dislike the most of this film because it is completely undermining Scarlet's character. Is they get in this car... And there's a black widow on their tail on a motorcycle. And I mean, initially, I thought it was Taskmaster. I thought he left the tank behind and grabbed a motorcycle because they went down some stairs. But no, it's a black widow on the motorcycle. And Natasha's driving the car. And Yelena's grousing that all she's doing is driving away. And she goes, don't you have a plan? I have a plan. Drive away. It's a shitty plan. And... Yelena takes over, literally grabs the wheel. There's your visual metaphor for this whole movie. Yelena grabbing the wheel away from Natasha, spins the car, opens a door, and in that move, the door knocks off and hits the motorcycle, getting rid of their tail. Something that Natasha would have done in any other movie. And here, Natasha blanks and is just driving away for reasons, and it takes Yelena to do that move. I feel like they undermined Natasha with that and tried to show Yelena as the smarter, more aggressive one. It's not the only time in the movie, and I feel like the whole movie is seeding. As you say, it, it, it is a movie about giving Yelena the title Black Widow, but they have the means to turn these girls into allies and then to go storm the Red Room. 
And the plan is to run until the car breaks down. And that's the problem. And Taskmaster gets another great arrow shot here. The car flips over down a subway. I've been to New York so often. I know this is Budapest, but I keep wondering, what the hell would I do if I was getting my Metro card refilled and a car came down the goddamn stairs? (laughs) I was just like, does Europe not have airbag standards for their cars like if that doesn't set off your airbags like they just get out of that car like she's like let's put on our seatbelts because something bad's gonna happen i'm like "Mm, i don't know if just seatbelts are gonna help you in that situation where you're thrown so hard and you fly down into the subway system and here they're sliding down the escalators taskmaster is going for the kill this is the first time i ever think that throwing that shield could behead somebody but i think his shield is sharper than cap shield when we saw in falcon and winter soldier the shield killed somebody that was bludgeoning here that shield just embeds itself in a cement column i'm like that thing is sharp it would easily kill either one of them so again just to clarify where i'm at with this i think you're probably hearing me complain uh, scarlett johansson is not doing what i want to in this movie but i do feel like these scenes are pretty good action scene but featuring other character i'm waiting for the spotlight to turn on the one that i paid to see and i feel like that never comes i guess she gets a little moment here she's the one that figures out that if we fake a blood trail to a sewer grate that taskmaster will go get lost underneath the train and we can hide out in the air ducts but that doesn't feel like a hero moment to me No, and just like this film references a lot of other things, she only has that idea because she did it with Hawkeye before. Yeah, they want to keep bringing up Hawkeye because he is, he gets the biggest reaction of the whole movie when we finally get to the end. But you said your audience reacted well to Yelena. Not yet. Not in any of these scenes. No, but I think it would be the next scene when they go to get supplies. Yes. Yeah, she talks about her jacket. She calls Natasha a poser. And not as in a faker, but that Natasha keeps striking poses. and Which feels like a Deadpool reference, like the, the whole landing on the knee thing. Like, again, I don't feel like a whole lot of creativity here. I feel like I've heard a lot of these jokes before. It's familiar. It's working because the actress is good at it. It's a familiar joke, well told, well executed. And yeah, Yelena is more and more becoming the character that you're noticing as they're now they're going to find the Red Room. They make that commitment together. We're going to work together. But the way to find the Red Room is to get our parents back, starting with dad. They No, they don't expect both parents. They think Melina is dead. Yeah, whatever. I mean, but we know as an audience member, we got to get the family back together. It's a family story. Yeah, have you seen the trailer? <laughs> yeah, but they think she's dead. And they also think that because Alexi and Drakoff were great friends, Alexi will know where the Red Room is. Ever since Natasha bombed Drakoff, the Red Room has been on the move. And they sedate Black Widows before they get to or from the Red Room. Nobody knows where this Red Room is, but because they were friends, Alexi may know. So let's go break him out of prison in yet another action scene. Again, we're still in the first hour of this movie, and there's a few beats of conversation as we go between the action scenes, but there's still almost nonstop action, and we're coming up on the biggest showcase yet. It was featured in all the trailers. It's a big set piece as they get a helicopter from Mason and go to break Alexi out of a Siberian prison. So uh, just what I'm hearing you say is this movie is action-packed exhilarating. The first hour of this movie is action-packed exhilaration. Okay. 
I would say action-packed. Uh, if this is supposed to be an a big action piece, can we get some practical stunts going on again, people in Hollywood? Like, it feels like a lot of blue screen, a lot of sound stages, people dangling from wires, but not really in danger. Too many catwalks. There's no weight to any of this stuff for me, and that's the problem. Scarlett Johansson, like, learned some martial arts and would really jump on people and do that leg thing and throw them in Iron Man 2. Not a great film, but she's she's got a good fight scene in there. I never feel that excitement in this film. I don't, and I don't think Pew could do the stunts. She was in a wrestling movie. She should be able to. <laughs> she should, and apparently when she started this movie, she was going full method and trying to do her own stunts and Scarlett took her aside and said, I'm going to give you some advice Sam Jackson gave me. Focus on the character and the emotion and let the stunt people come in and do the action because you'll can train and train. You're never going to be as good as the stunt people. So just sit back and let them do all the hard work and you just focus on the performance of the conversation. And I'm like, but I feel that difference. I really do. Even if you can't do all the stunts, the physicality matters. And I don't feel like in this movie, either Scarlett Johansson or Florence Pugh are really giving that 110% to make us feel that it's those people doing these lips and things. They're not Tom Cruise. Yeah, this is not a Mission Impossible movie. This is a movie with a lot of catwalks and a lot of CGI. It's been competent action, but I haven't felt that the crowd was excited about it. Like, I know that that was a good car chase that I just watched, but I wasn't excited. Like, nothing about this is quickening the pulse. For the first hour, this movie is kind of dead. My pulse was quickened by the car chase. Yeah, like, there's a huge avalanche going on during the scene. Like, it should feel dangerous. It should feel scary. And no, it's just some CGI particles coming down a screen. And, like, I get never get adrenalized by, I don't think, any of the action in this. There's a couple good scenes. But overall, these big action pieces kind of fall flat. And, yeah, workmanlike, if that's the word you want to use, they competent enough. I'll agree with you on the prison break. It doesn't best anything we've seen before. What makes this fun for me is this is the reintroduction of Alexi. We saw him during the first 10 minutes. Now that we're coming up on the one hour mark, we're seeing him again. And he's in there. He's a super soldier who's arm wrestling people and telling stories about fighting Captain America, which may or may not be true, as he's saying they happened in the 80s. Yeah, he keeps referencing Captain America fights and like, oh, has he talked about me? I'm like, no, he wasn't around when you would have been around. Like, it, it confused me. I'm like, do they know the timeline or is he just a liar? He's a liar. There were other Captain Americas. Remember Falcon and Winter Soldier? Yeah, maybe he fought the African-American one. I don't know. But yeah, I, I do think he's telling tall tales, even though, but if he asks if Captain America mentioned me, I don't know. But the person who calls him a liar gets one hell of a broken arm. There was a audible ew from most of my audience when that wrist is just dangling with the broken forearm. Which is weird because apparently that character is a mutant who turns into a bear. Ursa. Ursa Major, yeah. He is listed in the credits as Ursa. And I don't know if that actor, who's a huge dude, will ever come back and turn into a bear. But here, Alexi getting broken out of prison. Somebody sends him a little doll of himself. It looks like a Hasbro Titan figure, if you guys know the Titan line. No. You guys being the listeners, not Stuart. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know that line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. 
It's the no articulation, really. Okay, it's for the three-year-olds. $10 soap <laughs> bottle line. Yeah, it looks like they got a Captain America and painted it red. And They don't have pull strings, though. It's a lot to give David Harper, who is an actor I think is primarily known for his part on Stranger Things, a show I don't watch. But we have all seen him fairly recently in the reboot of Hellboy. And I thought he was a fairly good Ron Perlman. Yeah, he did okay in that, and he was in Suicide Squad. Was he? He was? Remember him briefly in that? What did he do? He was the guy who Waller was talking to, and he was the go-between between her and the president and getting the Suicide Squad concept approved. Barely in it, but I don't watch Stranger Things much, so I remember him more from that. Oh, I didn't realize that was him. Mm, no memories. I will rewatch it before I have to see the second one. Yeah, and I did see him HBO Max recently, No Sudden Move. I don't know if you saw that. He plays a dramatic role in there, and I thought he was good, but I do like him better doing more of a comedic thing here. I mean, look, this is a Marvel film. I do expect one character to kind of be goofy like this, and sure, like, again, we're supposed to take the women seriously. This is a movie about the women, and he feels like a sitcom dad that's just kind of goofy and dumb. Yeah, he is... What the trailers promised. Yes. <laughs> if what you wanted to see was what was in that trailer, you for the first hour haven't been getting any of that. But now that he is here doing his big jokes, suddenly people were laughing, people were warming up. They were into this movie, finally. I, I'm not sure it's because it was exciting to watch Scarlett swing around on a rope and grab him. I think it was because of the comedy. And I thought, again, Black Widow is a spy, so we're going to get spy stuff, Mission Impossible, the head pops off of that toy, and it's really an earpiece and a tracker, and no, it's just he's super strong, so he's just going to ultimately smash his way out of jail. Like, there is no cool heist-type escape here. It's just, yeah, we're going to punch things and get out of here and cause an avalanche and fly away. I wish they would have driven home, though, that this was in Siberia, because he could have walked out of that prison at any time with his super strength and super agility. I missed that. I, I was wondering why he just stayed there. I, I, I didn't see a big flash of Siberia on the screen. Exactly. And so that's the only reason, though, is there's no other civilization around. In the wide shots during the avalanche, which Yelena caused, and she killed somebody quite clearly. She gets a bazooka and blows up a gun tower that's shooting at her, and... You see in those wide shots, no other buildings. And they don't say Siberia. I'm assuming Siberia because, hey, if you're going to go with a Russian accent that broad, David Harbour, then let's go ahead and just go with Siberia. Don't just blame Harbour. Everyone, I feel, is like real broad with their Russian accents here. And again, I don't think it's not working for the audience. I feel like for me, I wanted a different movie than this, period. At any point. At no point did I get the James Bond with Scarlett Johansson movie that I had always wanted when I said I wanted a Black Widow movie. I'm having to adjust my expectations greatly to try and appreciate what's working about this movie, but I don't want this movie. Uh, but I could feel the audience did at this point going forward. To me, you know what's hitting me with this action scene, though? It's not besting things that I'd seen before in Winter Soldier or in any Avengers movie. It tries to have this big scope of the prison riot, but we don't really feel the impact of that. One widow never leaves the chopper. The other widow is bouncing around on catwalks and posing <laughs> is, is called out. 
Yeah, she's criticized for that, and I think that it's a justified criticism because she really isn't doing anything to help Dan. All she's really got to do is come down and grab him, <laughs> but for reasons she's flipping around hitting gunmen. But what hits me hard is thinking, this is the best Marvel action I've seen in two years because this is driving home how those TV series do not measure up. The TV series, Falcon and Winter Soldier had the flying scene and we were all like, oh, that looked so cinematic. And then now I see it back on the big screen. I go, no, maybe not. This is when you just have money to blow and you're going to have this expansive, very realistic feeling. But obviously they have to be CGI shots through the prison and everything. It's just, this is what a real big budget can bring you that they're not going to spend on Disney Plus because they're not going to recoup from Disney Plus. I would say they need to use their budget better because, yes, it's bigger. We, we see whole mountain ranges falling down. Sure, it doesn't create any more feelings of adrenaline or excitement in me than Falcon zipping around in that canyon in the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, sure, it's bigger, but it maybe because I'm watching it at home on my TV, maybe because some stuff was converted for 3D. I don't know if this got a 3D release, but there are times where, especially when they're up in the air, it just feels very flat to me. And again, maybe that popped out if this was in 3D or, or I, I'm not sure what, what kind of releases this got. One of our listeners said this had amazing 3D, especially at the end. There's one scene where Taskmaster Sword comes out at me and it reminded me of something from Friday the 13th 3D. I haven't gotten a chance to see this in 3D myself though. But I'm I'm impressed visually with this. It is you guys used workmanlike. I'll say it's adequate and adequate from a Marvel movie means good. Again, there, there's something to compliment in this. The grandiosity is consistent and there is spectacle that's impressive. If you haven't dulled to watching Marvel movies if you haven't gotten over it. And I like WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier better than this film. So while you may feel like spectacle is still something that this movie is doing better, I feel that ultimately this movie's scope is very small and doesn't have the ambition or the creativity that the Disney Plus shows have demonstrated. At least thank God this isn't going to end with Black Widow giving a speech to... Drakov about do better. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. I, it basically does. This is such poor feminism. It will have. It will be very much an on the nose speech about the treatment of women in Hollywood. Oh yes. Well, we'll get there. But they got their comic relief with them now. Who's going to say why are you in a bad mood? Are you on your period? Yeah. This was the joke that I felt maybe the edgiest I've ever seen Marvel go to. The idea that you know Galena is going to be so casually graphic about describing the removal of uteruses is going to make some parents blush, I do think. Yes, this movie recognizes biology. And I get the joke, like, oh, you're on your period. That's often, you know, a thing dudes go to when a woman is being, you know, just could be assertive or, or disagreeable. Oh, you, you, it's just your biology. It's just you're on your period. It's a like, spicy joke. To me, it's a joke. I don't know. You're saying it's edgy. I feel like I see this on TV. I, I see this a lot on stuff, like mentioning a period. It's a pointed, satirical joke that's going to land really hard and might offend. And Arnie, you watch all this Marvel stuff more than we do. I, I thought we got this kind of thing from Black Widow before, where she talked about how she couldn't have children. Maybe it wasn't this graphic. 
it wasn't this graphic. She talked about sterilization. Okay. And, you know, I figured it was more than a tubal ligation. Yeah. But I also feel because they do use clinical terms like ovaries, uterus, that it stays in a high school biology class level description of human anatomy. But this joke almost got cut. Yeah, it did. When the writer had <laughs> turned it in, he had just left in the joke of are you on your period for that sexist reason and the director wanted to cut that out and it was Pew and the director and... Shortland wanted to cut this out? Yeah. It wasn't until Pew and Johansson got with her and were like, no, let's leave this in, but let's give it a response and let's let Pew just go off on him for it. And so that's why it ended up the way it did. Yeah, I think it's important to have in there, but all I'm just saying is it's a warning for those that took their six-year-old. And you're right, maybe because of the terminology, it'll just roll right over small children. They won't even recognize what's being discussed. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say this is my gauge if sex stuff is going too far for, for teenagers or kids. Like, if my wife is like, hit the forward button as our girls are watching, she didn't bat an eye at this, whatever. And here we get the biggest groaner joke. Alexi's like, I don't know where... The Red Room is, but your mother, quote unquote, worked more for Dreykov than I did. Let's go see her in St. Petersburg. We don't have enough gas to go to St. Petersburg. It'll be fine. Smash cut, chopper falling from the sky. <laughs> it was like, oh, that is such a Scooby-Doo gag. And everybody just gets out. Everyone's fine. I think the idea was they had had a, a first hour that was so brutal and somber. They really wanted to bring back audiences that had maybe shut down. And I could see that it was a strategy that was working for my audience. And all of this stuff. Yeah, even that helicopter falling, not very funny, but it got a big laugh. In part because I think the audience was hungering for something that was entertainment and not so drab. Yeah, I mean, when they finally do get to Melina, who's working on a pig farm as a scientist, we see her with a little iPad there, you know, controlling these pigs. Like, were they cracking up when we get to see David Harbour in his underwear struggling to get a suit on? It's a fine line. My audience was laughing. They were finding it funny. Okay. Yes. Yeah. My audience was, I was not. No, yeah, I was not either. <laughs> that is the problem is that what people are going to enjoy about this movie is not something I'm interested in partaking. This was not my Black Widow movie. I'll say I found it funny. I mean, anybody who's tried to fit into clothes they wore 25 years ago. No, last year after pre-pandemic. Anything you had pre-pandemic is not fitting your waistline the way it used to. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I found this funny and the fact that he comes out. Now, we saw most of the funny parts in the trailer where he comes out and goes, still fits. And there's Melina going, you've gotten fat. But they're horny. She's like, still good, though. He's like, I have a lot of energy. I was in prison. I will say, though, you, you want to turn my kids and I think a lot of audiences against a person, have them kill not just the dog, just any animal and this pig scene, like, we, we, again, we got to expound on the mind control, the difference with Natasha is that she was psychologically conditioned and now they're chemically conditioning them. And we'll see Melina tell this pig, you know, she flips on the iPad and, and says, stop breathing. And ooh, my girls got real upset, man. They really like that pig. And they're like, if they kill that pig, we're walking out of this film. For sure. Rachel Weiss is the least enjoyable family member. It's those eyebrows, man. Those Frida eyebrows. It is in part 
not entirely just seen, but this is the scene where I really, because I love this pig. I mean, just like, you know, the spit takes of a pig going, you know, like, yes, I'm enjoying that part of it. It's just an adorable animal. And to watch him fall over from voluntarily stop breathing because she's punched a button on a iPad. Yeah, oof, it's, it is hard to forgive her. I had to go see this movie alone the first time I watched it because of Marjorie's work schedule. And Marjorie has gone with me to every Marvel movie, but I'm like, I might not let her come if this pig dies. I know how she reacts to animal deaths in movies. If they kill this pig, this cute, better than Arnold on Green Acres pig, it's going to be a hard sell. Yeah. But they, with 11 seconds to spare, let the pig gasp its way back. Not great CGI on the pig because they're, tr- they're, it's like half babe, right? They really want that pig to be expressive and emotive as it's gasping. But. The surprise is, and maybe it's a good thing because it could easily go too far, the pig doesn't join the team. I would have thought if you had a super intelligent <laughs> hog running around, it would participate in the rest of the climax. It could do things to save characters and it would be one of the family. But this character, this pig Alexi, will be left up behind when the Red Room team comes to swoop up this family. Yeah, throw a a gun turret on that pig's back. Have it be the rocket raccoon of this franchise. I think you could have done it. I honestly think if you wanted more fun... And I don't think that this movie necessarily did. You would have gone with a pig that could have pulled off some crazy shit. That might have really turned me around with this film. If you had Melita controlling this pig as it was doing mm-hmm. karate or something. Again, if, if you pull it off in the right way, I, I think I, I would have really sat up and like gotten into this film. But based on the movie we've seen, I would wonder what the hell left turn this movie took to do that. Agreed. Agreed. Tonally, it would be completely wrong. And I don't always go for animal flicks, but I do feel like... With Marvel particularly, they do have the capacity to pull off that kind of outrageousness. It might have been fun to try if this movie wasn't so self-serious in its final conflict at the Red Room. And it's here, right? This is why you bring Shortland in, right? Again, I only saw 10 minutes of lore, but it seemed very serious with all this family drama. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is where you get all that with Melina and Natasha going off and talking and Yelena and... Alexi going and having a talk, and it's all about family. We're back in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, with jokes. The David Harbour is going to, you know, talk about his father being a great father because he defecated on his frostbitten hands. I mean, like, they tried. They go blue to keep that amusing. Not quite that blue. He peed on the hands. He didn't crap on the hands. Jesus, that's gross. But it does feel like a drag, right? Like, it does feel like this is way too small for what we came for. Or maybe not. Maybe people like this. I don't. I want dramatic stuff. I'm not saying I don't want that, that I just want explosions for two hours in a Marvel movie. But again, it's got to be the right tone, the right circumstances. It's got to be pulled off right. And this seems to go very family drama. The stuff with Milena and Natasha feels very serious and it doesn't seem to fit in this film. On a second viewing, it worked better for me. On the first viewing, I felt like this movie was already grinding to a halt. We hit the one hour mark and by one hour and 10 minutes it's what is going on with this where everything is just now this emotional discussion but this is also natasha's arc in this film and the reason why you call this one black widow well there's multiple black widows but also the reason Scarlett Johansson gets top billing is she has the greatest emotional arc you talk about why did she go to hide in a trailer 
Because even at the start of this film, she says she doesn't need anyone. She doesn't even really need Mason, who got her the RV. She thinks she can just be a complete loner. And even though she'll describe Avengers as her family to these people, she doesn't necessarily believe it. She thinks she is completely alone. And the Avengers are over. She thinks the Avengers have called it kaputs as well. So, yeah, there's that element. True. And she denies this family also. So this is a cathartic moment of her telling the family, I deny you. We aren't a real family. She's going to put it very harshly. And throughout the rest of this movie, she's going to come to terms and realize she's not alone. She actually has two families. So that's her emotional arc. And the scene with her and Melina here really drives that home. Now, David Harbour singing American Pie to lure the other one out of her depression, whatever. Yeah, Arnie, I think you've absolutely described Scarlett Johansson's role in this. Is that what you imagined when we talked about having a Black Widow movie? that that would be what she would be doing for her solo film. I didn't want that. I didn't want a family. I didn't need to see this kind of psychological kitchen table kind of drama. Yeah, I wanted Spy. Yes. I, I wanted Winter Soldier, that vibe back. Yes. This to me is not what I wanted. I agree. I'll be honest. I didn't really want a Black Widow movie at this point. The character's dead. Now, I like... Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. I wish they hadn't killed her. I also like Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. I don't know who I'd want in that Sophie's Choice to actually die there. Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Easy. No Sophie's Choice there. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm not trying to dog on him or anything, but that, yeah, I would prefer that Natasha remain in the family and Hawkeye be six feet under. But if this movie had come out six months or a year after Civil War, before Endgame, I would be far more invested in the stakes than I am now. Now that the story's told and you're going back and putting this interquel there, it's not what I'm jonesing for. I can't say that I was dying for a year waiting for this movie to come out. If Endgame had been postponed a year, I'd probably need to be put in a hospital with just anxiety. But this one, it's like, if I see it, when I see it, I'll see it. And so, am I jonesing for anything in this movie? No. But if it's coming after Civil War, do I really expect it to be a spy caper? Not necessarily. I was thinking action film. It's what I expected. If I sat down and I were assigned to write a Black Widow film, this wouldn't be what I wrote, mm -mm. but it's meeting expectations and that's what i was saying earlier is i i feel like there's not a whole lot of sense of danger because we know black widow's already dead so she's not going to die here so yeah you're right if it came after civil war when we didn't know her outcome i think there would be some more suspense and i like we all said i think with alexi we expected something to happen to him and when he's singing american pie and talking about the day that i die i'm like oh this is where he gets it and Drakov's soldiers come in at this moment he doesn't die he's they're just gonna get caught but like they timed that perfectly on purpose but i'm like that was when he's singing that song, I'm like, oh, they say die in the lyrics. This is where he's going to get it. But no, he just gets taken away. I knew he wouldn't get it here. I'll mention when I thought he was going to actually bite it. But I think it's a false equalization, though, Jacob, to say, oh, the suspense is taken out for me because I already know what happens to Black Widow and she's not going to die here. Listen, I watched Iron Man and at no point thought Robert Downey Jr. was going to bite it. I mean, in most movies, the heroes survive to the end. I get that, but there's just not a sense of danger because I know her story after this. So uh, they can't do anything to change her. She's got to stay the, exactly the same because it's got to fit 
in this whole chronology. There's just nothing they could do with that character. So I'm looking at the other ones for them to do something unique with. I never expect them to, to kill a main character when the movie's named after them. But you know what I mean? There, you could still create a sense of danger or that there's going to be some life-changing consequences going on. And no, not in this one because I already know her story. If they kill David Harbour, they're in real trouble. I don't know how. I don't think the audience would go with them. I mean, honestly, he and Yelena are keeping this movie alive. I think it would have been a Yondu moment. Like, that's a character, like, that is still the saddest death to me in the MCU. Like, this goofy, comedic character, and they gave him a real meaningful death. I don't know. This wouldn't have been meaningful, and he, this character hasn't done much, but uh, it sounds like the audiences liked him enough that they would have been moved emotionally by his death. Maybe, but I would sense that what it's like breaking the last light bulb and saying, find your way out. Like, no, I, I need this <laughs> to get to the end. And I need, well, I mean, you'd still have Yelena, but Yelena is being strapped down and they're going to do brain surgery to us. And she's still cracking jokes because with the avalanche, she's like, this would be a cool way to die. And now here with the brain surgery, this is not a cool way to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did manage to find the humor in being catatonic or whatever they're going to do, lobotomized. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the family is divided up. It's been called the Red Room, the Red Room, but in fact, it is Sky City. It is a flying structure in a cloud. It's Moonraker. They got to go to space. Yeah, I think that was maybe what they were thinking. It's a Bond villain layer, and the rooms are not red. They are like wood paneled, and it feels much more like a casting couch room. If you've been in those hot Hollywood executive offices. This feels like the sleazy place that they invite you to come do a reading and see if you're good for the part. And you get there and you're like, mm, what's going on? The room where they trained the widows was illuminated red. You know, we do get a glimpse of widows doing their training. And that was... I feel like it turned red when there was an alarm. There was red lines all around. And at least they honored the name The Red Room. And they all had like red armbands on or something. But yeah, this... As soon as we get up there and you see Ray Winstone and what he's come to look like and how he's got that stubble and what clothes he's wearing and the glasses he's wearing. All I thought of was Harvey Weinstein looked just like this when I saw the trial photos. Before trial, I don't think I could have, I could have sat next to Harvey Weinstein on a plane and not known what he looked like. And now it's like, I know what he looks like. He looks like this. Oh, so this is where we're going with our bad guy. I have been in the room with Harvey Weinstein. Ray Winstone studied his mannerisms. It is not just the physical. This is someone that is doing a pretty good impersonation. Yeah, I picked that up. I wonder what he thought was harder to be a villain, either Harvey Weinstein or Growl Tiger from Cats. <laughs> And, and I just want to point out, you're like, what's become of Ray Winstone? Yes, he was in a movie 20 years ago called Sexy Beast, but that was ironic. I don't think he ever <laughs> did like have a, a good looking face. He's always kind of looked like this boorish person. I'm actually talking about what happened to Dreykov because earlier he looked well put together. He, The way they dressed him, the way he moved was more fit. It was like 20 years earlier, though. Yeah, exactly. I'm saying what's become of him in the 25 years 
is he turned into later day Harvey Weinstein. They just need to give him a cane. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to be living in a retro world. Again, the the wood paneling says 70s sleazy. And, you know, he's got VHS tapes lying around. Like, again, it makes me think about, like, we're going to just shoot a little movie right now. And I get just all the casting couch stories that I've ever heard. It has this environment. And you know, the other thing about Weinstein was that he did have women working for him to get other women. And that's kind of how it feels like when he welcomes Melina back, he's like, how was the family reunion? <laughs> and it's all handsy. And of course, when does he figure out that it's not Melina? I didn't follow that beat about when he realized he was he was being deceived. I think it was nearly immediately from the way he tells it. And if you, again, I watched this twice, the conversation he has where he's trying to say, oh, we're going to take out her brain and I need you to study it. And, oh, I have pigs to take care of. Oh, never mind your pigs. I think he's goading her. He says, you don't raise a girl without knowing the look in her eyes. And I think it is very quickly what the way this cat and mouse game goes that he knows this is not the person on my side. Now, for me, I mean, these masks were set up in previous movies, very rarely used. So when he pulls off the Milena mask, I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. I really thought that they'd put Natasha in prison with Alexi and this was Melina. I thought we were about to see Melina's change of heart. Like she was going to have her talk with Dreykov and then walk out and betray him and realize mm -hmm. this is not what to do. I didn't realize she'd already had that moment. Agreed. To put it another way, I hated Melina, so I wasn't expecting anything good out of her here. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about those masks, but as soon as that reveal happened, I'm like, oh yeah, they did that before. We, we, again, I think that was Winter Soldier. We saw Black Widow do that kind of thing. But again, the frustrating thing is... I thought we'd see Black Widow bust out of her little cell and free Alexi and then go free Yelena. No, she was told everything by Melania. It's like before they got captured, okay, we got to switch places. Like she's going to tell her every plot detail that Drakoff is going to go through at the end here. But Natasha, again, I want a protagonist. I want a hero that figures things out and is active and does things. No, she was just briefed on all this before. That doesn't bother me so much. It doesn't? You don't want your hero to, like, figure things out and, and be active and, and pick up on clues? And Absolutely do I do, but I don't mind that she got this far and her interaction with Milena got Milena to give her this information. What bothers me is while all the action's going on, she's stuck in a room talking to a creepy old man, you know, and he's the final boss, but it's all verbal. She's got RoboCop's Prime Directive 4 in there. Thanks to his pheromones, she can't hurt him. Yeah, the exact note I wrote, oh, RoboCop. Like, I, I couldn't believe they're doing Prime Directive 4 at this point. Oh, that I wasn't thinking of that. But do either of you know, I know Johansson made Miramax Weinstein movies. Has she ever spoken about her relationship with him? Is this in any way her settling a score? You know, ScarJo has a little bit of a mixed history with the Me Too movement. After all the stuff with Weinstein came out, she went to some awards thing wearing a dress designed by Harvey's wife. Okay, not the worst sin in the world, but okay. I, I can imagine the internet eating you alive. Can, yeah, can you imagine what Twitter did with that? <laughs> yes. Come on, Stuart. And when it came to Woody Allen... Because she did star in... Oh, many. Yeah, some of his best films, frankly. Yeah. And she said, oh, I believe Woody. Yeah. So 
she tries to stay out of the fray, mm-hmm. but when she gets in it, it seems like foot and mouth disease. Well, I guess what I was really asking is, has she ever disclosed that Harvey Weinstein was inappropriate with her? Because it does feel like this moment is about revenge. All of this, like the speechifying, this scene, if Scarlett Johansson has a dramatic moment in this movie that rings true, it's the way that she confronts this fake Harvey Weinstein about why he puts women in dumpsters. Yeah, I didn't know if she had a history with that. I'm yelling at the TV at this point because this is the worst Bond monologuing. I'm like, can someone just pull a trigger and kill the person they want to kill? Kill Black Widow, kill Dracoff. I don't care who dies. Just stop talking and pull a trigger. I thought she was pretty good in the way she baited him. I mean, it took me a while to figure out she wants the broken nose. It did? Like, as soon as they said pheromones, I'm like, oh, okay, she's going to break her nose. But then you have Dracoff start punching her. I'm like, okay, he's going to break it and she's going to realize she can fight back. But no, again, she was told what to do. Like, oh, he's he's got pheromones, so you got to cut this, sever this nerve or whatever. Like, she didn't figure anything out. She didn't do anything clever. Like, just plug her nose up beforehand so she was never under his control. Like, no, it's she was given ev- all the information beforehand and everyone did everything for her. See, and well, they say sever the nerve. I'm not sure if plugging your nose would do it. In movie speak, that's what's going to do it. Don't breathe. But if I hadn't gotten Weinstein yet, which I did, but then the way she does bait him, like, you're nothing. You have nothing. You seem desperate to impress me. And he's like, I don't need to impress anyone. And then he goes on to tell her about how great his program was and how he gives women purpose. I'm like, from what few stories I've read, and I try to avoid gossip rags, but what few stories I've read about Weinstein this sounds like his M.O. Like, if you made fun of him, yes, that you would be subject to a mixture of physical abuse as well as his bravado about how great he is. Yeah, I thought Rose McGowan's, like, Twitter feed might be some of this dialogue. It really does feel... And again, I don't think it's a bad thing to do. I mean, it's good to have a theme. I think Black Panther, by being Afrocentric, gave it an importance that made it a larger film than just another Marvel entry. If this is the Marvel movie to tackle Me Too, great, let's do it. I I just feel like this is maybe the only time in the whole movie where I feel like Scarlet is doing something important. Yeah, I guess she can't kill him right away because she's looking for the key to the computer where they could upload some disks that I didn't know they had to deactivate all the widows around the world. I guess that's the big reveal is that there's thousands of widows everywhere and they've controlled every... It wasn't Hydra. Before it was Hydra controlling everything, but now it was the widows controlling everything. Yes, very specifically in Winter Soldier, Hydra goes on. Arnim Zola talks about how using the algorithm, they've been able to influence world events and get things going the way Hydra wants it to be. And now this guy's doing the same thing? And he stole Hydra's research? I mean, like, did they never come into contact? Like, they wanted such different things? They could each maneuver the world the way they want? This is, it's both cliche and redundant to the MCU. Yeah, I feel like so this Drakoff should be running the world then. Like, he should have been a bigger force for the Avengers to be fighting if he literally had what looks like millions of women in trash cans, no less. I mean, I want to stress the credits made it clear they were being moved around in giant garbage bins, which I just thought, heavy metaphor, people. And they were alive. I thought they were dead at first, but no, they were alive. And yes, this is 
woke liberal Hollywood again with this message. It's better done here than it is in Black Christmas or some of those others that we've discussed, but... Well, let's not hope it's not a liberal message. Let's hope that conservatives can get behind the idea that women shouldn't be thrown in garbage cans and abused. But I don't want to make it partisan. I think it's fine to have this as a message. But why couldn't she just be fighting it the whole time? Why did she need all of that family shit? Why couldn't she just be taking down the patriarchy herself? I feel like this is the only time where she had a good fight. Later, she's going to spend, you know, 20 minutes falling from a building fighting Taskmaster, and it won't have nearly the impact that this scene does. Yeah, because she doesn't get to fight Taskmaster at this point. She just, Taskmaster gets excused after the big reveal, which apparently this made a bunch of Marvel fans really angry, comparing it to the reveal of the Mandarin. I thought Mandarin. I I really did. I had been waiting for this for an hour ever since I found out Drakoff had a daughter. I'm like, okay, get to the reveal. I know who it is. Yeah, the fact that under Taskmaster's mask was the daughter, of course it was the daughter. I mean, they talked so much about the daughter. Yeah. And you need to give Black Widow her salvation. You can't walk out of there thinking she's the Anakin Skywalker of Marvel and intentionally kill children. Oh, you're very lucky. This one semi-survived she's got horrible burns and a chip in her brain but you didn't kill her yeah you you bring up anakin my only other suspect is we get this speech about natasha's mother and who her real mother is and Drakoff is going to be like she's unknown in an unmarked grave and i'm like oh maybe it will be the mother maybe that'll be a big reveal but i'm like i still think it's going to be the daughter and yeah it was i knew it was going to be someone that had been mentioned at some point in this film you know so i don't know why people were so upset i don't know is taskmaster a beloved villain in the marvel comic i never got a sense that he was that great of a guy so i don't care that they've done this family relationship thing here he's beloved but he's beloved because of how he looks and the power he has yeah he's a cool looking character she still looks cool unless she takes that mask off honestly i think some of it is oh it's a woman you made taskmaster a woman and because she's a woman she's going to be rescued whereas if that was a man he would be skewered That's not true. I feel like Natasha's whole thing, again, because she has to redeem herself, I felt like they hit a lot of those beats of Winter Soldier where Cap is going to, you know, give up fighting Bucky to to save Bucky. I I felt like they were trying to go for a similar emotion here between these two, but never got there. The thing is, I'm saying in this movie, if you look at it, I had thought when we were getting this Black Widow movie, would Julie Delpy come back? I like Julie Delpy as an actress. She was in... Age of Ultron very briefly as one of the trainers from the Red Room. I'm like, would they bring her back? No, they won't, because not a single woman in this movie is going to be evil. It's the evil men of S.H.I.E.L.D., or it's the evil men by General Ross trying to take her down. It's the evil men who run the Red Room, and this woman whose Taskmaster is just as mind-controlled as the rest of them. Every woman will be saved from the mind control of men. That's why I say it's woke liberalism and is the heavy handedness of it. Not that I believe women should be thrown in dumpsters. Absolutely not. There's no three dimension. There's no nuance. Yes, exactly. 
Well, they become it becomes metaphorical. She's fighting patriarchy. It's not men. It's male dominance. It's something abstract. It's but but yes, because you're making a movie, it can come off looking as I don't know, man hating or whatever. I, to me, I don't think anyone's looking up to Ray Winstone. Nobody's like, hey, how how dare you do that to Ray? It's fine if she wants to punch him back. I guess the other sad thing about this scene is she doesn't get to kill him here. Like he gets away, and Yelena will be the one to finish him off. Because she can't kill. She's the super good guy. She can't have blood on her hands anymore. Enough red in her ledger. and Yeah. I do wonder about her breaking her nose. Like, they say you have to sever the nerve. Now, to me, what I think is you break your nose, you lose your sense of smell. So for her, that was enough. She didn't literally sever a nerve. I've been reading online. People think, like, her cartilage severed a nerve and she could never taste again when she had the peanut butter and jelly sandwich in Endgame. She couldn't taste it because she lost her sense of smell here. I, nothing you're saying is a memory. You Marvel fans go deep. I don't remember her having peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> But to me, I thought she just broke her nose. That was enough where she could hit him back. Because later on, when she's downloading that data, she resets her nose. But she's going to be attacked by all these widows and lose. Yes. Again, I just feel like whatever you think of this movie, and I'm not even sure what I think of this movie. I know it's a horrible goodbye tribute to the best of Scarlett Johansson's work. Like, I want to remember her from other Avengers movies and not for this. Yeah, I mean, she can't fight back because she knows they're under mind control, so she can't hurt them that badly, but by pulling her punches, and there's so many of them, I mean, I want to believe she's the Black Widow, the widow above all widows. Yes, she is. For me, she was. And it is sort of just, it's a little disappointing to find out that anybody can do it as long as they grow up an orphan in a dumpster. Like, that's, oh, okay, well, but all right, that's the attitude we're taking. In the comics, she was the Black Widow. And when Yelena became a Black Widow, it was a big deal because she was the only one other than Natasha to pass Black Widow training. And so at least it was, if not 100% unique, super rare. And that's what caused some of the rivalry between them is Yelena thought that she should be the Black Widow now and Natasha wasn't stepping down. But here, that yes, it's just there's a million Black Widows takes away what made Natasha special in the Avengers. It could have been anybody. She just happened to be the one that defected and defected poorly because her mission to defect was a failure. So we got a big climax. It's all kind of samey, samey action to me. I would just say in general, lots of stuff are happening. Once Milena decides to blow up the engine and send the Red Room crashing to the ground. Yeah, it was a little confusing to me that Milena decided to bring the entire floating city down while her whole family's still on it. But, you know, it kind of called back to the helicarrier crashes from Winter Soldier. So it's trying to evoke that feeling again. It's as epic as those. I have the feeling that people are suspended by wires in a green soundstage. Like, I, again, maybe this looks great in 3D. It felt very flat. There's some actual laughable scenes where we cracked up. They look so superimposed. But again, maybe that's because 3D just made it look better. Some of the parachuting scenes looked really bad, and they were better on IMAX. They did a framing here where, like, almost all you see at one point is Scarlett Johansson's eyes and nose and Florence Pugh's eyes and nose. They made that IMAX ratio. You could at least see the whole face. When they 
cropped it down for Disney Plus where I watched it the second time. It was like, oof, what? why did you go so close? I'm thinking director not quite experienced with altering ratios mid-movie. And I will say, as someone that only saw it in IMAX, I didn't have a whole huge issue with the technical aspects of things. It looked fine. It went by just as it should. But yes, in this end fight, the prison cells open, and it's when Melina gets out, and Red Guardian versus Taskmaster. I saw this in the trailer. Red Guardian stays to buy Melina some time. I'm like... This will be the day that he dies. In the trailer, <laughs> I thought this would be the midpoint of the movie that Red Guardian, believing he's still as strong as he was 25 years ago, would go up against Taskmaster, and Taskmaster would prove how strong she is by killing the Red Guardian. But no, it's basically another stalemate where neither one wins. He just tricks her into stepping inside of a cell and closing the gate. Yeah, I'm feeling that a lot. Like, none of these fights ever amount to anything. Their stakes never change much. Even if someone is a bad guy, like, even by the end of this, I know Taskmaster is going to come back and be some friend to Yelena in a future series, you know? It's like, oh, it doesn't matter who's bad. It's just all sparring. It's just a, a play fight. Yeah, it, we see Black Widow, like, as she's jumping out of Dracoff's office, like, oh, two more red vials of dust to, to de-brainwash people. And she uses it when they finally land on the ground. Like, they don't seem concerned about an entire space station falling down on them. But she uses that dust to free Taskmaster, which they made a big deal about a computer chip in her head. I, I don't know why the dust, I don't know, maybe it, it shorted out some of the circuits on that chip. I, I didn't think that Taskmaster was controlled by chemical brain surgery like the other widows i thought it was all about that microchip i thought the microchip gave her the powers because it's in the back of her head i thought of neo in the matrix they put a new disc in her and she had new skills but yeah when they use the dust on her i'm like okay so they were controlling her like everybody else and the super reflexes and things are coming from the chip in her head but here we also see yelena she's the one who got the kill in on weinstein stuck her baton into one of his engines and his plane blew up she falls without a parachute natasha has to give her a parachute she still hits hard and when natasha gets to her we're upside down that callback i'm like but you're laying on your back i i don't know why we had to have that callback the whistling was much sweeter although i think they should have done that back at the apartment and more apologizing, Arnie. Don't forget, because we haven't had enough scenes of Natasha saying, I've been so terrible in the past. Hey, I liked you, chick. I'm sorry you feel like your whole life is a failure. I liked you until this moment. And now you're nothing but a blubbering, remorseful has-been. And then all the stunt women come off. I'm sorry. All the Black Widows come off and come to also hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Nobody is hurt. Everybody is smiling. I mean, Melina says she's hurt, but she's smiling and joking. I don't feel she's hurt. Stakes, where are they? Don't know. Don't feel them. And help me out with this. So Ross is coming. Why doesn't Natasha get on the helicopter with everybody else to get away? Is she going to have an exchange with Ross? Never know. She says she's buying them time because, I mean, obviously the whole Red Room would probably... Every widow there's probably committed murder. We know that Yelena has. We saw her gut a woman. So 
they're probably all going to be arrested and maybe even for breaking Sokovia Accords. I don't know exactly how trained you have to be to be a superhero by the Sokovia Accords. Buying them time, they're going to be in the air. Ross is on the ground. You just fly away. I mean, Natasha has been running away this whole movie. I don't know why she's not running away now. I also don't know how Ross is going to just be able to drive up. To, again, an entire cloud city has crashed into the ground, like, and they know right where to go to, to, to find her. Like, I, I'm going to stick around. and I couldn't remember whether this was connected to a moment. She never had a kumbaya come together moment with Ross, right? They never became friends. No. When she walks in in Endgame, remember the hologram of Ross is there. And he goes, you've got some nerve. I'll give you that. And she goes, you could use some of that right now. So he obviously is still hunting for them. He tells Rhodey, arrest them the moment they walk in. Not arrest Rogers and Wilson, but leave Roman off alone. So he's still hunting her. What happened here? I don't know. We're just going to jump two weeks later. Yeah, remember Mason? We're, we're going to get him back in the scene. Why do this? Why not end in this moment? I thought for sure this is where credits were going to kick off. Is it just that we needed to see the jet she would have in Endgame? This is the scene where she's going to totally friend zone Mason. She's like, you're a good friend. That's what every guy wants to hear. Again, if this character seemed to have any importance to the future of the franchise, I would indulge them in this half flirtation. Tinkerer, Stuart. Tinkerer, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not having no tinkerer. There's, yeah, too many tinkerers ruined the suit. Hey, there's two good guys in here, and one's a buffoon, and the other's a totally friend-zone neutered guy. Is it just to bring us back to the Fireflies? I feel like in the end, this director, what she's cared about is establishing that family drama, that mood, that trying to remind you that even though this character is heading off to a, a bad fate, we're to remember her as a beacon of light. Yes, as all women are, there wasn't one firefly. I'm sure there was one firefly for every widow there, but you know, it's good to see her going back. You know, it ties it in there, but you could have just ended with Ross coming. You really could have, and I'd have been perfectly fine with that. This coda, okay, it, we at least know where she got that vest now. It has a lot of pockets. The, the, yes, the, the vest and the blonde hair. She was taking after her sister. But the end stinger got the biggest crowd reaction of all. Because I, you kept saying there's no suspense to this movie because we know Black Widow was dead. I don't think I had that opinion. And I know the people around me didn't have that opinion. And when that opinion is confirmed, it was a heartbreaker. People were, oh, when we see the gravesite. Marjorie was too, you know, she was like, oh, especially since Yelena was there with her dog named Fanny, the name that Mason had tried to pin on Natasha earlier. And, and then we see the gravesite, you know, we just saw Natasha finally have her solo adventure. And now there's her empty grave with teddy bears left by Avengers fans, I guess. When we see Yelena walking up to that and doing that whistle, my wife's like, oh, they're going to reveal Black Widow's still alive. She's going to whistle back here. But no, she's dead. She's in the ground. And no, instead, who's going to snort back is Julia Louis-Dreyfus. 
Yeah, the best character of Phase 4, Valentina, showing up here with... I don't remember her having a purple streak in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I, I wonder if they're trying to tell us, like, this is your Thanos for Wave 4, like, doing that color cue there. You did mention this. We knew this was going to come because it had been brought up, her scenes in that show. I think I would be very confused if this were the first time I were ever seeing her. I agree. It was helpful to have her in the context of the Disney Plus show and then seeing instantly when I see her at the graveside, I know what she's there to do. I would have been struggling to understand she's the new Sam Jackson of some wannabe Avengers team. B-team? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a cover band at this point. Are they good guys or bad guys? And, and, and is this really the next phase of Marvel? Are we seeing... What was it? U.S. Agent and now New Black Widow. These these really are going to be the team? Again, they could either be going the Thunderbolts route, which is a spoiler, I guess. You thought they were going to be good guys and then they all take off their mask and they're established villains. Or it could be Dark Avengers, which again was just like Norman Osborn is going to become Iron Man and Venom is going to become Spider-Man. It, it's, it's about bad guys taking on heroic roles, but not doing very heroic things. There's something very villainous about Julia Louise Dreyfus yeah. in a comic charming way. Don't get me wrong. I really like her, but I feel like she's not Sam Jackson and no. I'm not rooting for this team to come together. I'm worried about what they're going to do when they do. No, I, I think they are doing the reverse Sam Jackson thing where we saw him show up at the end of Iron Man and I'm putting together a team. This does feel like the villain version. I, I don't know who the good guys are going to be. They're going to fight him. Maybe the Eternals, maybe Shang-Chi. I don't know, but I do feel like this is a villain team getting put together. I do too, but I don't know how long that'll last. I mean, she tells Yelena, here's your next target. The person who killed your sister, Hawkeye. Well, Maybe the only people who know what happened on Vormir were Hawkeye and Natasha and the other Avengers. Maybe the word didn't get back to the sister. No Avenger knew she had, I guess. In five years, she never told Rogers, oh, yeah, I have a sister. And I don't know if she's dusted or not. I don't know if my dad's dusted or not. I don't know if, you know, there's a super soldier around. He might be helpful against Thanos, but maybe he was dust. But here... She's going to go after Hawkeye. Pew is confirmed for the Hawkeye TV series. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to end with her, you know, being talked to by Hawkeye because the TV series can't afford big fights. So it's going to end in a let's hash this out and hug at the end kind of way. So will she stay on the side of Valentina? I don't know. As for if the scene would be confusing if you hadn't seen Falcon and Winter Soldier, it would have been, and it's intentionally so, because the timeline was going to be May 2020, Black Widow comes out, then immediately Falcon and Winter Soldier start. So you would have been confused for a few weeks, but long before this would have hit streaming, you would know who... Valentina was in that series. It was going to be that Falcon and Winter Soldier was going to be the first Disney Plus series, followed by WandaVision, followed by Loki, and because of COVID, it got switched up. But because of that, yes, I do think some people in my audience didn't watch Falcon and Winter Soldier and were confused, and other people were like, oh... 
And I guess absolutely nobody read the articles I did that said Julia Louis-Dreyfus was going to be in this movie. I didn't read those articles, and I agree with Stuart. I, I like this reveal better after seeing Falcon Winter Soldier because we got a little bit more of a sense of who she is. So when she shows up here, yeah, I would have been like, huh, what? Wh who's this? But now I'm like, oh, this is that person that's sinister putting together some bad team, like a fun character because of that scene in Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I, I, I liked, uh, I don't know, by happenstance that those got reversed because of a worldwide pandemic. And yeah, it worked a little bit better for me, I think. Still so weird that they made a movie and with this second-rate Black Widow, they're going to follow it up in a TV show, not a movie. I mean, she'll show up in whatever the next Infinity War is. She'll be on the bad guy team. Do we even want to see her again? Jacob, Stuart, do you recommend Black Widow? Jacob. Stuart, you used the word workmanlike mm. for this film. And, and I wrote down another word, perfunctory. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that came to mind. And, and if listeners, if you don't want to go look it up at dictionary.com, you know, it's something that, that just it's carried out with a minimum of effort or reflection. And, and I feel like that is this to a T now minimum of effort that that is relative to, you know, a Disney Marvel production. Yes, there's a lot of great people creating CGI particles in this and, and stuntmen on wires. Like, this has got a lot of money. But I don't know if you get a lot better action for all the money that was put into this for the, for the production and, and the level of talent that it does feel like I've seen a lot of these scenes in other movies. There's a lot of cliches going on here and reflection. Like to me, this is to recontextualize Black Widow's death. This is the eulogy. This is, you know, hey, remember this character. This is what makes her so great. Here's a great little spy story. Okay. They want to make it about family. They want to move it away from that. Okay. It feels like now I'm at the wake and there's a relative that's really grief stricken, maybe drank too much. And they're kind of just babbling through this person's life. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if this is the best send off. Like I get it. This person's heartbroken over. Can we get someone that's a better speechwriter? Maybe that is how this feels like, oh, oh now this is a, a story about her family that we never knew about. And it doesn't add any weight to her death because what does Melina, Alexi, Yelena think about her being dead? I don't know. That's my problem. There is no, you know, stay. Stanley's gone. We don't get his cameos anymore. I did play a fun little game like as I was watching this. When would Stanley have shown up? Would he have been one of the prison guards? Would he have been arm wrestling Alexi? Like where would he have got his little cameo? But there's no Excelsior here. Like it's not Thor or Thor 2. It's not that level. But to me, it's kind of, and I know this is controversial in my infamous not recommend, but for Infinity War, I'm like, uh, I felt like 30 minutes of that movie were maybe important to the whole story, but I didn't need that whole three hours plus. And yeah, I don't need this story. I think, look, if you're a Marvel completist, yeah, this is fine. It's fine. But there's no reason that like, I don't care if I would have missed this story and uh, Pew shows up at some other point. I go, okay, she's, I, I'm sure, yeah, she has some story and I'm fine with her just showing up now. I don't feel like there's any reason to, that <laughs> you need to see this. It, it's not a great spy film. It, it's not a great Marvel film. It, it feels like it steals from a lot of other things and there's just not a whole lot of heart in it. And so again, it's fine. It does everything you would expect it to do with its budget and, and with these actors and being a Marvel film, but I don't feel like you need to rush out and see this. You're fine if you miss it. So that to me, that's a mild not recommend. Stuart. 
I agree. This is one where you ask yourself, what is my job? Because the question is, have they made a competent Marvel movie? The answer is absolutely yes. This is factory assembly. That There's no poison in this. The the shellfish and the peanuts didn't get mixed in. There's like, it, <laughs> I can give you that inspector stamp, that rubber stamp come down and say, yep, you can eat this. Nothing's going to happen to you. No problems. But if that stamp means I really like this, I think you should seek it out. This is just not what I wanted. And so that's the schism here. The the battle that I'm having is I really didn't want anything that this movie was offering. I don't recommend that that I ever watch it again. But I do think that there are many things here that remind me of what Marvel does well at. And where I landed, you went with Infinity War. To me, this ends up right on that line with the the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies because I like Florence Pugh just as I like Tom Holland. I don't really like his movies. I really feel like those (laughs) Spider-Man movies are very adolescent and the adventures are just not very thrilling and they're not even trying for that. They're going for something younger. I think Florence Pugh is going to bring a lot of new fans into this realm. She will be a very good Black Widow, I do believe. But... And this is the butt that I, even now, I don't know whether I'm recommending this movie or not. I know, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I, I don't know. The heartbreak is, is that Scarlet got wronged. In her own damn movie, Scarlet got wronged. This is her last one. This is the last thing she gets to do. Like, that just makes me so angry. I don't care about the villain. I, ultimately, I feel like, okay, you want to make Harvey Weinstein statements? Great. But have her be the one to take him down. The fact that it gets outsourced to some silly family of goofballs is enraging, actually. And so I think for that reason, if I'm leaving a movie mad, I don't know how I can recommend it. Even though, hear me when I say it's just as competent and probably even better than some of the other ones like Ant-Man and Wasp that I've given a recommend to. Wow, I did not expect to not recommend on this show. I mean, yeah, workmanlike, adequate, <laughs> you know? It's like, where do you fall on that line? Is adequate good enough for a green arrow or bad enough for a red arrow? And I'm saying relative to other films, like adequate could be good for an indie film. For Marvel, I don't think it is. Well, I think this is right there online with all of the introductory first-time solo films they've done since the end of Phase 1, Ant-Man. Doctor Strange, this, if it doesn't involve an Avengers team, if it's just a single character focus, it always feels small. You know, you can make that joke about Ant-Man because he gets tiny, but they think they even refer to him as the incredible shrinking prisoner in this movie. But Doctor Strange didn't feel important. This doesn't feel important. But it was about Doctor Strange. I will argue (laughs) that the title did refer to the main character. I'll say Ant-Man had fun, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sets, Doctor Strange did some neat visuals. Like, what's unique about this one? Well, to Stuart's point, the main character of this movie is Black Widow. Yeah, Florence Pugh's Black Widow, maybe. And I like her. She, If I recommended it, it would have been for Florence. But what this movie has is a really good first hour of action. If you want some Marvel action, Taskmaster in a Tank, Jacob, I thought that would be enough for you to recommend it right there. I mean, that is great stuff. That is, if if your tank is enough for you to recommend 
Fast Six. This Taskmaster in a tank is so much better than that tank. Fast Six did it first. Like, again, this just feels like they're chasing a bunch of stuff that I've already seen. But yes, the first hour is fun action that I think everybody gets their moments. I do cringe a little bit when they just so blatantly put Natasha second to Yelena. But... Then the second hour, it has fun with Alexi, and yet it also does have the family moments that I feel are adequate, you know? I think this is a on-par Marvel movie. It's not as bad as Dark World. It is. You're right. It's on par with many of what they've done, but it pissed me off. It's what I expected, though. I knew going in this would be a handing of the baton, quite literally, her Black Widow baton, a handing off of the tasers. I knew they were setting up the whole reason for this movie's existence, and I didn't read this anywhere, but I knew this, is we need to set up a new Black Widow, and if we just had a Black Widow show up and not share screen with Scarlet and show that Scarlet approves of this Black Widow, then fans will revolt. So this is a way of giving Scarlet the movie she's overdue for having, giving Scarlet a big paycheck because she got to produce it as well, and introducing us to a properly coronated Black Widow who can now carry on the franchise with our blonde widow and our other Captain America. And great, you're assembling the B team. That's wonderful. Is anyone excited for that? I know I'm not. I know that Yelena being in the Hawkeye series doesn't make me more excited for the Hawkeye series. I was half excited enough because of Jeremy Renner. I like him as Hawkeye. So being on par, being an average Marvel movie means good entertainment. Yes, if I was Scarlett Johansson, I might be a little bit pissed off. But as a moviegoer, it's a recommend. Do you like it more the same or less than Falcon and Winter Soldier? Which I think it is the other side of the coin. It is to Anthony Mackie what this movie is to Florence Pugh. I realized that I like Marvel movies more than Marvel television with this. No. So everything I've said about how the TV series are just as cinematic and just as worthy, going back and seeing this mediocre Marvel movie made me realize that the TV series just... WandaVision at least did something unique, but Falcon and Winter Soldier, it fell apart at the end. This is better than that. Thor Falcon and Winter Soldier and Do Better is right around that line of Thor the Dark World. Of this doesn't feel that far off than Do Better. And you know what? This felt like a special one-night made-for-TV movie. Like, again, it didn't feel big enough to be in the cinematic universe. Correct. I know that includes these miniseries now on TV, but put this out on, well, they did put it out on Disney+, Plus, but don't charge me an extra 30 bucks for it. I agree. Because we're now having to distinguish between what's good enough for Marvel TV and what's good enough for the big screen, the question is, I don't know why Falcon and Winter Soldier couldn't have gotten a big screen movie. They had more going on. It would have been a better story told in three hours than this is. Nobody's really ever gotten excited over Anthony Mackie, at least not the average moviegoer, maybe at a convention. But I think Scarlett Johansson 
can headline a movie, and I don't think Anthony Mackie can just because of star power. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I always liked Falcon, like his portrayal of Falcon. I thought he had cool moves when he's flying around. Like, I would have been down for a condensed version of that with fix the politics in it, but yeah, I enjoy his action stuff more than anything that Scarlett Johansson really didn't even get to do in this film. Like, she barely gets to do anything. Of course, when I say Anthony Mackie doesn't have the star power, I have no idea who Simu Liu is. <laughs> okay, yes, exactly. We've got a lot more Marvel to cover this year. In two months, something called Shang-Chi and Ten Rings is upon us. I don't know the character. I don't know the actress. I know Aquafina, and it looks like she's <laughs> yeah. a bus driver. But other than that, I don't know what that thing is. I'm going to have to read some Shang-Chi comics because I'm not familiar with them, even though I am. The, I like to read the comics, but I don't know. That trailer, it looks like a fun superhero version of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I'm down for it, even though I don't know anything about that character right now. And I've been schooled. I believe it is pronounced Shang-Chi. Great. Eternals? <laughs> am I saying that wrong? Is it Eternals? <laughs> I don't know anything about this. That looks bad. That trailer looked bad. What? What is that? We have taught them. We have shaped them. We haven't interfered. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that trailer. Yeah, I don't understand it. It's clear they're going for something different. Not that different, Stuart. It is just a different version of the Inhumans. Okay. Sorry. Oh. We have another Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. I'm already on record saying like him, don't like his movies. And Hawkeye, everyone's least favorite Avenger, is getting the TV show all within this year. Plus Loki next week. Yeah, we got more Marvel next week. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't end. Arnie, super fan. Are you excited about any of it? I'm excited for Spider-Man. That's your guy. Yeah, you would be of all of them. He's my guy. And minor spoiler alert. Alfred Molina's coming back. Jamie Foxx is coming back. Oh, yeah. We all have been waiting for Electra to return. I, apparently, he's not going to be blue this time. Oh, well, then it's fixed. That was the problem. Oh, okay. Recommend. The problem was that blue tint. <laughs> I'm really excited to see what is going on with that movie. And I have really liked the Spider-Man films. I really think that Zendaya and Tom Holland work well together on screen and apparently off screen. They do. So I'm looking forward to that one. Shang-Chi, I don't know what that is. Eternals, I don't know what that is, but that trailer looks bad. I mean, that trailer is really like the worst trailer you could show me. I'm most excited, other than Spider-Man, for the Hawkeye TV series because I feel like Jeremy Renner... Phase one didn't do him justice, but I think around the time of Age of Ultron, they gave him the family. He found humor in his character. He started telling some jokes. I think Jeremy Renner started feeling comfortable in his skin in this role. I really liked him in Endgame. I'm looking forward to seeing more Jeremy Renner. Am I correct in saying a little bit of fatigue? Maybe not so much of this. Maybe it would be nice not to have five Marvel properties coming at us in six months. Yeah, and part of that isn't intended. Part of that is Corona-based. We would have had two and two, I believe. Maybe two and three. But with the television, I wasn't super excited to see Black Widow. I wasn't one of the ones applauding the Marvel logo at the opening. And after two years, I might have been if they hadn't had Disney Plus shows that I had been watching literally every week all year that start with that same logo. And am I fatigued? No, I'm just as hungry for great Marvel content as I've ever been. Are they fatigued? Where's the great Marvel content that they've delivered? I just 
don't see anything coming up that's going to match the amazingness of Endgame or match the personal stakes of Winter Soldier. You're going to introduce me to a whole bunch of new heroes. Well, I'm back where I was in 2011. I don't like Thor. Captain America's lame. So you're going to make movies about them? All right. I don't know Shang-Chi. Your Eternals look lame. You're going to make movies about them? I'm back with my arms not fully crossed because Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios. They proved us wrong so many times. Exactly. Yeah, Guardians. <laughs> they make it a talking tree and raccoon one of my favorite properties. So they can do it. They can win me back over, but the onus is on them to do so. And it's going to keep going with Marvel television series. I can't even count how many Emmys they got nominated for for WandaVision and then like five for Falcon and Winter Soldier, including Don Cheadle for some reason. And they've announced Loki as their first ongoing TV series. Season two is going to be coming up at some point in time. And since it's an ongoing TV series, we don't cover those, so we will not be covering Loki next week. Instead, we're going back into the arcade for Company of Heroes. But I'll still be watching the Loki finale tomorrow, so come on to the Now Playing Podcast Facebook group, and we can still talk Loki, even if we're not doing a show about Loki. Because that last episode hops on Disney Plus tomorrow. Tomorrow is uh, July 14th, by the way. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> But uh, what's special about that, Stuart? You'll find out if you're a July patron that July 14th is a holiday to celebrate <laughs> Nicolas Cage craziness with a movie called Con Air. So, yes, you get the totally free Tuesday show today and tomorrow a patron show for Wednesday and then Friday another show for the donors as we return to David Fincher and... The girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, she's kind of a superhero of sorts as well. Elizabeth Salander, this time, yes, matched up with the guy who's sort of the backbone for our gold level. Director David Fincher's take on that classic Swedish super hacker series. So thank you for listening. And remember, it is listener support that allows Now Playing to keep going. We have no sponsors. We have no ads. It is strictly because of you guys, our listeners, that we're able to keep doing this show. If you told me back in 2012 when we were leading up to Avengers and Jacob, you were worried, would you survive? Would you die before we reach the big culmination of Avengers? And then I was worried, would I die before Endgame? Here we are, 2021. So haven't missed a week of a release show in years since I think almost a decade we have released a new show every single week most weeks two new shows it's because of you guys who listen to us and support us and so you can become a now playing patron and get over 50 exclusive bonus shows including tomorrow's con air at nowplayingpatron.com or you can donate to our donation drive and hear the reviews of David Fincher plus the Dirty Harry series, plus White House Down, and Olympus Has Fallen, and London Has Fallen, and Angel Has Fallen, all as part of our spring-summer 2021 donation series. Plus, we have other levels. Last week, we reviewed The Forever Purge, so there's a binge and purge level. In a couple of weeks, we're going back to theaters for M. Night Shyamalan's Old, so there's an M. Night Blue level. Yes! The movie of the summer. Every time I see that trailer, I love the audience reaction. What the? <laughs> so all of that is available as a thank you to those who support Now Playing and help us keep doing the show we love to do. 
and Jacob Stewart. Thank you for joining me as I sit here and wonder, will we ever again see the Avengers Assemble? Thank you for listening to this episode in the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're gonna knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that. Right? Now playing is edited by Arnie. 
Your pain only makes you stronger. Now playing Credit Now Ration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. You <gasps> he are. just did it again. You're the God This is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. A security ID badge and holding a three-quarter inch disc saying, I've got it, we've got to go. Three and a half inch disc. <laughs> Is it not three and a quarter? No, it's five and a quarter and three and a half. <laughs> oh, there we go. It's been so long since I've handled those. But I do remember them. Jeremy Renner was in prison during this movie. <laughs> Yeah, he had something where he threatened his wife and to kill himself. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what's happening with Hawkeye. But I, wait, are you yeah. serious? Like the actor, not not the Hawkeye character? No, no. Oh, oh, oh! You're talking about Hawkeye, the the character. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Because this is Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was really getting lost. I usually get lost when you guys go down this path, but I was really like. <laughs> Wait, who's in prison? Hawkeye or him? I, I thought you were referring to Jeremy Renner because, yeah, he had some real dark shit happen. Oh, okay. Pulls off the Melania. Melania. I always did that. Melania? <laughs> yeah. Mel <laughs>